So how'd you get into, how do you become a wrestling fan and how'd you start your podcast? Well, the wrestling side of it actually came from my mom. My mom was a very, very big wrestling fan. My mother was deaf and uh, red lips. She didn't do sign language. So the wrestling part of it, because they enunciate their words so much, she could pick up on the words, even back in the black and white uh, TV days. And so she felt like she was a part of the of the storyline. So she, you know, got into that. So, of course, I got into it. My brother is the same way. And so we started going to the Mid-South Coliseum on Monday nights and seeing back back when Jackie Fargo uh, and, and, and uh, Sam Bass was Jerry Lawler's manager. He was a young kid back then. Well, uh, not young, young, but still in his <laughs> early 20s, you know. Uh, starting a territory. So, yeah, it was just, that was a, a golden time in wrestling. So how'd you get hooked up with the podcast? Uh, actually, through um, Twitter, I was, uh, some of my friends were always calling me when if there was a, a game show or anything going on anywhere, I was the phone a friend mm. when it was wrestling, right? You know, anything uh, to that. So uh, uh, I, people started asking me all these questions. Well, somebody said, you ought to talk to Matt up at uh, the WWE podcast. He's, I think he needs somebody. And I uh, talked to him and uh, I filled in just whenever somebody maternity leave, whatever it may be. And then uh, eventually he was like, well, let's start this show up for the review. And uh, that's how uh, he got somebody to do it that got uh, life came along, couldn't handle it. So I uh, took it over and been doing it now for several months now. That's awesome, man. But yeah, like just having all that knowledge, people think it's useless knowledge being the wrestling guy, you in know, in some sense, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. Have you been to uh Dustin stars Memphis wrestling? I have not been, I have seen it on TV and I've actually seen that they've started another wrestling company. Uh, Lou Winston, uh, has started one called VC something VUC, um, uh, wrestling. And it's on, um, Saturdays, uh, and I just knew because when they said Big Lou Winston, he did the security down. Be, yeah. Yeah. So uh, first thing, I, I had to watch Big Lou stuff. And then, of course, he'd come out there complaining about something. And, and you know, when Big Lou, you know Big Lou when you see Big Lou. So, uh, yeah. So hopefully, you know, they're getting something started. Uh, who knows? I I would like to go to um, Dustin's. I haven't been yet. And I think I would go, want to go with someone like you, so you, you, you know, know the stories and stuff. Oh, yeah. We ought to, uh, we, we could put the, the shirts on and just raid the place. <laughs> yeah. You know, get a few of us and just all go in there the same because they've got to ask us what's going on. Yeah. You know, that's the whole reason I wear my title belt uh, when I go to the games because you're always going to get on TV. Always. You know, when they pan around the crowd and they see somebody with the, the, the we have the world championship uh, 901 belt, it automatically. You know, you're on. So it's a chick magnet. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about what do you think about the state of Tiger football right now? Well, I think everybody sure is pounding on it while it's down. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, it looks like they're going to have to keep uh, Ryan around for another year. They're saying it's financially uh, and that's a terrible thing to let out there. You know, it's not good for morale. We've already lost a couple of recruits that had signed the number one guy from his class is, is now looking around. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's in a sad state, but it's in a state of limbo. 
And uh, I know there were a lot of people that made the trip down to Jackson, Mississippi, tried to put a little bug in uh, Mr. Sanders' ear. Uh, and it looks like he's going to Colorado. I, I don't think they've announced it yet, but I think he's going to the University of Colorado. That sure would have been a nice fit, Dion and Penny. Man, that would have been fucking uh, awesome. You're talking about a dream team <laughs> to bring students in and revenue and and every network's, you know, Instant. Money, yeah, money. It'd be money all day long for the University of Memphis. Oh. You got two amazing guys in there when they were uh, Dion's prime, but like they're both when they were prime, you know, and they're and they're still kicking ass right now. I think it would have done so. It would have been awesome, man, if uh, oh. Dion was coming here. That would have been great. But I mean, look, I I, I don't want to mess up anything. I mean, Penny, we trust, and yeah. Penny, we trust. <laughs> Yeah, he's doing a great job. We smoked Ole Miss yesterday. I watched that game. Oh, it was great. And then, then everybody contributed. And our best player didn't have his best game. They were so keyed on Davis, they left Lomax open. And Lomax Lit him burned up. him. Yeah. Burned him. He's a senior, right? Yeah. Well, he's, Fifth year senior. Yeah, we've got everybody on our team. Everybody's <laughs> on our team. The, the trainers are seniors. Everybody. <laughs> uh, DeAndre's the oldest guy in basketball. I mean, in between games, he has to use a cane. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, but look, Father Time, it, it'll eventually catch up with you, but it ain't, it ain't got Mr. Williams yet. Mr. Williams is still balling and, uh, and had a great game. So, man, in Penny, we trust. How long do you think Memphis has to Memphis Tiger basketball has until um we are in that national championship talk? You tell you what, we we will know how close we are this year. The barometer is set in our league with Houston. Houston's number one. Number one in the nation. Uh so and we beat them twice last year. Now they retooled and reloaded, and Penny did the same thing. Penny said, screw the one and dones. I mean, not per se, but, you know, yeah. he pretty much said, I want fifth-year seniors. I want uh, senior leadership. Look at the difference. Last year when we got a uh, got a lead on somebody, we didn't have that put the, put the foot on the throat, you know, get them out of there. I mean, we let Ole Miss back into the game, but Ole Miss has got a great coach, and they're going to be just fine. That coach has been coach of the year in every league he's been in, like four or five leagues he's been Coach year, so they'll be fine, but you can't teach talent or in height like that, man. Uh, and Penny stayed on them. Dwight, uh, you know, Coach Boyd, and all those guys, they stayed on them, and they didn't let the foot all the way off that throat. So. Yeah, like um, you know, the thing about the one and done, you might get that badass. Obviously, you can get that badass number one recruit of, the, of his class for one year, and then he's gone. But like what Penny is doing, like you just said, is 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 perfect because I'm I'm against the one and done guys, you know, because you 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 can't build your team around that because every year you're gonna have one superstar and then they're gone, one superstar and they're gone, and now the NBA is talking about lowering their age back to 18 so they're gonna even skip the college, you know, and and that should you would think that would mess the game up, but there's so few that can actually make that jump. Uh, look at uh, Amani Bates. I mean, he's doing good at uh, uh, wherever in Michigan he's playing at, you know. Uh, he's scoring good and everything, but he he wasn't ready for our game. When you saw him, he got pushed around. There were – he was – he. I mean, I, I don't want to say anything really bad about the man, but he was playing with grown men when he was here, and it looked like it. He looked like a boy playing with men because they were pushing him around in the paint, and he was bouncing off them like, you know, like a lightweight does to a heavyweight. 
So, and now I think he's learned, you know, he's got the experience, maybe he's doing better, but what we have now is a bunch of guys that want to play and they're playing together. Nobody, no one-on-one ball. The ball was moved around the outer wing. Everything looked good. I mean, I was impressed, impressed. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what the future is. Especially, I didn't know it was already going to be this year. The barometer was set this year. But like, you know, with Tiger football, you know, tanking a little bit. I mean, we go to some bowl game when we were talking before we started yeah. recording. But it's like a what-the-fuck name bowl, right? Yeah. It, it's just one Jabroni of those. Bowl. Yeah, exactly. It's just a bowl that's a bowl game because you'd be having it became six and five, right? right. Yeah, six, yeah, yeah, six and five. And like. A lucky. Yeah, and, and I think like teams need to stop accepting the bids to some of these bowls. Like, you know, if you like a de- if you're a decent team like Memphis, I think like I know the players get enjoyment out of it, the coaching staff gets enjoyment. You get, you know, the fans get to go to the bowl game, but not that many travel if it's really far, right? Right. Now if it's Mobile, Music City Bowl, Birmingham Bowl or whatever, it'll be it'll be Memphis tur- turnout, right. right? Yeah, if it's a Hawaii bowl. <clears throat> yeah. You know, yeah. it's going to be, you know. But like it's just it's I think that they need to revamp the bowl schedule. I think they need to get, I know corporate money is making all these bowls, but it's happening. But like, I think they need to revamp how many bowl NCAA needs to come say 40, 35 is the max. The lower ones are out. Well, as long as it's corporate driven, that'll never happen in our lifetime though. Cause money talks and that's just the way it, and, and I mean, even some of these smaller bowls, they get the TV revenue. So it, it does give a n- little bit of revenue. But some of these smaller bowls, if you really look at the economics of it, they almost break even after they take all the staff and, and every, you know, they get family because this is a big event. So you got grandma and grandpa coming down with them. And, and I went with, uh, uh, we, uh, one of our bartenders one year was a, uh, with, uh, with coach, uh, Stobert, uh, I believe it uh, was, uh, he was a, a defensive line coach, so we got to go to see D'Angelo play, and we got the good seats and the whole ordeal. But it was it was an ordeal being a coach, just arranging for your family, you know, going down. It's expensive. So, I, I mean, I guess in, – in to, to, I say all that to say this. I guess it does equal out uh, for the trips to pay them. But, yeah, it kind of gets a little monotonous when you have the – the ginger bowl and uh spark plug bowl and uh you know whatever the go daddy oh yeah yeah the go daddy bowl or whatever it may be but then also like now does the bowl committee pay does it just pay for coaches and players or is it like a plus one or something like that do you know well what I mean? they get uh you get a buyout or a payout per school so whatever that the game is the better the time zone that the game's on is the more money you're going to get, more revenue, and then that'll go to. They split it up between the teams. Okay. And it's 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 the same thing when uh, Jackson State comes to play uh, Memphis. You know they get they get a good amount of money. Uh, we pay them to play us, pretty much is the way it works. So same kind of thing. Yeah, like the whole thing, and then you have um, Missouri who doesn't want to play Kansas in the Liberty Bowl. You see that. I, I read know, about it this morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten into detail about that, but yeah, and you know what? Uh, the the uh, Missouri that that crowd is, is they were expecting a lot more this year, and they were really disappointed. And I think right now it's kind of little sour grapes, you know. But but that's an SEC school, so we shouldn't <laughs> say anything about the SEC schools. 
How do you think Memphis would fare in the SEC? In basketball, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I see like my friends will make posts. Oh man, we should we should go to the SEC. You know, I'm like I'm just sitting there thinking. I'm like, the SEC has seven teams in the top twenty five. What are you guys talking about? I mean, a bad team played uh, in the championship. You know, LSU should not have been in that. You know, but, yeah, and I mean, they got smoked. Yeah. And they got smoke. But I will say this. If you were put in that league, then you would have the time to build your recruiting. And they've got the – they actually got the facilities to be that kind of a league. But uh, they uh, – um, uh, they uh, but you could do that. You could do that because you could build it up. It's like anything else. If you know you've got a restaurant, you start off small and you get bigger and bigger as you go along. It would be the same thing. You could do that in recruiting. But you're going against Ole Miss – Mississippi State and Tennessee and Arkansas, just in this no. region. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, the SEC will never look because it would kill Ole Miss, actually, because we could become I, – I mean, personally, I think we could become bigger than Ole Miss in football and basketball. So that would, that would you know, take away from one of their original members. So, nope, that will never happen. Yeah, it's just, it's just too much, man. I think that we just need to stay where we are, the mid-level, you know. Yeah. And build from there. I think what we need to do is what Bobby Bowden did with Florida State in the eighties. He went to go play all the big schools for the for the money to build facilities and to build uh, play morale and get better players. And, you know, he built that into a dynasty. That was actually he was that was an independent. Uh, we used to play them back in the day because that was a regular game Memphis did against Florida State back then, but they were independents like uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. But, you know, eventually they, of course, went into their league, and Notre Dame's the last one that's – I mean, it's Notre Dame. So they can you know, they can do that. Do you think Notre Dame will ever come off independent? I don't think they ever need to with the network deals. And, I mean, why – they'd have to settle down. I mean, like, to that literally, why take the beautiful girl right in front of you when you can have the librarian – uh, you know, I'm just no, uh, nothing wrong with librarians. Yeah, they had, they have NBC money. I mean, that's yeah. somebody was I was listening to my buddy say this at, at that's why I asked you at uh, Sidecar a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, they're never gonna leave. They got the money from NBC every fucking year. Like, why would you leave? That's real big money. They just literally. <laughs> uh, uh, they just literally got uh, their playback cameras or, or the, the TV facilities in their stadium. A buddy of mine went to a game. It was on his bucket list uh, to uh, to go to a, a game at, you know, at South Bend. And he, he said this, the benches were like from the 30s. They were uncomfortable. They couldn't do a lot of the tailgating stuff. They had all kinds of rules and everything out there. And then he goes, there was no – there there is now, but the year he went – there was no playback screen. So if you missed a play, you couldn't look up and see what everybody was hollering about. Oh, there was no Jumbotron? Yeah, there was no Jumbotron up until like a year or two ago. They didn't just, it it was Notre Dame. It didn't need, it was tradition. It was, and I'm, I mean, I'm a traditional guy, but no, no, no. I don't go, I don't go camping in tents anymore. I want a cabin. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If I go to a game, I want to, I want to know where the, I want a seat near the bathroom and the beer. Yeah. You know, because they coincide, they go together. 
Uh, so, you know, that's just me as, as getting older. But as a young man, I guess I'd have done anything to, to jump up there. But yeah, he was sadly, sadly disappointed in the, the whole game. And yeah, they actually took charcoal and we're going to do cook some stuff in the parking lot. And they came around and went, nope, only gas. And so they, they put their stuff in the back of their truck. And then he said, literally, they saw people walking around. And sure enough, everything in the back of their truck was stolen. <laughs> they, going, they had all this meat, not all this stuff. Because there were a bunch of restaurant yeah. bartenders and guys that went up there. They had all these fillets from uh, Folks Folly and all that. And he was like, I know somebody ate good that night. You know, but, Man, that sucks. It's such as that be on your bucket list and the stadium just be a shit. Yeah. You know, and, and it just he said the whole experience, other than the people, he said he met some really nice people there. And before the game, you know, it was really cool, the whole experience and that. But, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to sit on a bench from the 30s that, no. you know, was made for guys that were 120 pounds with my 270 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't you fit. Think, what about the Liberty Bowl? Do you think they need, they need to dump the $250 million into it? Or do you think they need to maybe get another $500 million from the state and build a new stadium? Well, we're in the armpit of the – State, you know, they put us in the corner. They're not going to give us Nashville money. Yeah. You know, but uh, that's just the way it is, you know. But hey, the showboats, if they could come in there and just draw a little bit and keep it on TV for a couple of years and give it a chance to take off, they could pay for some stuff, you know. But of course, they got to make some money first. Yeah. Like the Memphis Express thing, I forget the league name of that. That didn't work. They didn't give you a chance to work. I think it was one season, right? Mm -hmm. And then they ran out of money or something? They had technical issues. You know, when you forget to put gas in a generator and it causes you to go off air, like uh, back in the days with the USFL, when you do stupid things like that, your league's not going to go. But these guys seem to have everything together. It looks like they kicked kicked Vince out. And (laughs) and now they, you know, once they got him gone, they seem to have taken – but I believe the league owns all of the teams. Uh, and so there's, there's not that kind of a, if I were, if I've read this right, there's, there's like a group of owners. It's not like individual owners. Oh, okay. Am I maybe, I may be wrong on that, but I believe that was because I, they had an interesting financial plan. I did read that. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was very interesting. So they have a chance. Yeah. Cause if all the owners that have all the money are putting it towards one product, then instead of just their stadium or their game or their team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. Mm-hmm. When's the Rocks thing kick off? Which one? Uh, the Rock. Oh, the the movie? I mean, the, the TV? No, the um, you know, the Rock bought the XFL. No, I did not know that. Yeah, so. Whoa, whoa, now you're dropping <laughs> alpha on me. Yeah, so the Rock bought XFL beginning of, or middle of 2020. 21 or something like that. Oh, wow. And apparently it's supposed to kick off here soon. Memphis didn't get a team. Yeah. Right. And I was like, what the fuck? We had a team originally on the XFL, mm-hmm. like Memphis Maniacs. Yeah, absolutely. Good old Jim Druckenmiller. Yeah, that's it. I've got an <laughs> autographed sign picture when he yeah. came in the restaurant. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and look, The Rock is in town right now filming. They just were filming at Quick Check on, uh, yeah. on Madison uh, the other day, and then they they filmed a whole bunch at my old uh, out at Ansdale, out at the mansion. Oh, okay, uh, they filmed uh, several days out there. So, <clears throat> the Rock is definitely uh, in town. And man, when he was here, uh, you might as well. This is a, a not a PG rated uh, uh, episode. The Rock 
was well known for a lot of things when he was here, but wrestling wasn't one of them. He would try to get lay. He, if a woman looked at him, he automatically went over there and it was, if you ever had a seen or had a family member, had a dog that would just start humping your leg when you get out. <laughs> that was the rock back in the day. And I actually, uh, have, uh, well, she'll hear this episode. Uh, my daughter's mother was the camera girl. She was a waitress at the at Blue City there, and she was one of the camera uh, ladies on Saturday. And uh, it was just funny hearing some of the stories that she'd come in telling other girls, like, "Oh, child, let me tell you about this." And she would just go on and on. And I and then once I heard the name, I'm like, "Rocky Johnson's kid." You know, that's how I knew the yeah, Rocky yeah. Johnson's kid. I don't care who it is. Rocky Johnson was one of my favorite wrestlers, you know. Uh, I mean, and uh, and who's you know look look at the Rock now. So a lot of those girls probably wish they would have done it for sure, you know. You know but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, he's killing it, man. He's in everything. I mean, he either owns, you know, he's got that Under Armour deal. He has the movie production company that. Big companies have to use through, so he gets paid on that. And he's executive producer on everything. Like the money is insane that he's making a year now, man. And I, I sure hate that his father didn't get a chance to spend more of it because you know he he spent. A, I bought a car stereo from Rocky Johnson. He was selling car stereos out of a van. Uh, some days in between wrestling in the territory, right on summer down from the summer twin drive-in where the Summer goes out a little wider. He would pull over on the side, and he'd have a van and have the equalizers and the boosters and the the, the receivers and everything, and uh, and he would sign an autograph for you. But he wasn't. He was just Mister Johnson or something that he didn't put on there. But if you mentioned wrestling, he went it boom like a light, and he'd say, "Oh, I got shirts. I got you know, I got you know." He would, you know <laughs> I think it was three dollars for a, a signed picture, and I think if I remember, ten dollars for a t shirt. Wow. And, yeah. And cheap T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things you remember from the wrestling era, from the Memphis Territory? Man, uh, you know, the, the one of the still to this day, after all these years of watching wrestling, still one of the best matches. I can never forget on Saturday morning watching the Tupelo concession match after it happened. <clears throat> and uh, have you seen? Have mm. you, oh, it is absolutely the ultimate Memphis wrestling if you wanted, if they were to put it in a time capsule and wanted to tell people a hundred years ago what was Memphis wrestling, it was it. It was uh, Larry Latham. It was uh, they, they, their, their version of the Moon Dogs, kind of back then against Lawler and Dundee. And now, all these years later, I was told by Mister Dundee, uh, who has a an adult entertainment place on the way to uh, to Pickwick, uh, which is a great story. I'll tell you here in a little bit, but it was hilarious to come into a, yeah, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but the video, when you go back and you go back and watch this, you got to see, you see everything. All right. Uh, the production, all right. Lance Russell is smoking a cigarette at one time, uh, you know, and, uh, going, wait a minute, there's a, f- there's a fight in the back. Come on, get the camera guys. And, you know, and he, the camera's moving and they're going down the stairs and there's a fight in the concession stand and they're beating the daylights out of each other. And any condiment, anything that is around there uh, can be used. So just imagine how they're doing this. So there's mustard, you know, gallons of mustard being hit around. Everything. But this is the back line of the story I didn't know until I was an adult. They told them, yes, you can do all this. 
and it's the end of the year, so they weren't going to have any more events. So they were like, you can throw all this stuff because we're going to throw it out anyway. Yeah. But don't touch the damn popcorn machine. <laughs> and if you watch this fight, four grown men are in a small concession area, and they're beating the daylights out of it, and nobody touches the popcorn machine. <laughs> so I dare you to go back and watch that. And and now that you know about the popcorn machine, watch it. It'll give you a little bit more of a, a smile. In there. Yeah, that's insane. Fucking popcorn machine. Yeah, that was a moneymaker. You never <clears throat> yeah. mess with the moneymaker, no matter what it is. Never mess with the moneymaker. <laughs> but wow. yeah, there's... And look, I actually sold drinks at Tim McCarver Stadium for the Memphis Chicks. 7980... Uh, great teams we had back then, but I would get off work and we could, cause we so, we knew the guys that sold the programs and the drinks at the Coliseum. So a lot of times we'd get to go in the side door and I, one or two times I got to sell programs or popcorn, uh, usually cause they were so packed. They just wanted people, uh, to sell them and they could trust us cause we worked next door. But, uh, that was a big time job, uh, you know, back getting to see the guys also on the side, like, Getting ready to go out, and the first time I saw like Tommy Rich talking to the guy he's getting ready to go get busted open by behind the curtain, I was was kind of stunned. I was like, "Wait a minute, they're getting ready to go beat the hell out of each other, and why are they talking? What's going on here?" You know, and then or seeing Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Jarrett eating at the diner that used to be across on Parkway that had the two big bears. I can't think of the name of that. Uh, it was there for air. The bears are still around the city. You'll see them around. There's two big polar bears that are holding a ball, concrete ones. And they were originally at that restaurant. But uh, the wrestlers would go eat in the back. And they would put them in like a banquet room and let them sit back there. But I'd just seen Tojo Yamamoto bust Jerry Jarrett open with his wooden shoe. Tojo was real short and he wore these tall, traditional Japanese wooden shoes. And every time in every match, that shoe would would come in, you know, you would, and then the guy would fly eight feet and he would come back up and he's busted open. And, and Tojo was, Jojo, Tojo was great like that. But, uh, but when you see that as a kid, you see him talking after the match, you're going, well, I'm a, Jerry was a nice guy to, 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 to take Tojo back into his fold, you know, to be his yeah. friend again that quick. Well, that's, that's a nice guy. That's a nice man. But yeah, that's one side of it. Did you see, uh, Bo Jackson play? So uh, now I worked before that era, but yeah, I oh, okay. saw him play. Yeah, I, I was with Tim Raines, Charlie Lee from Memphis here. Charlie Lee threw a no hitter for the Montreal Expos. Uh, Bryn Smith was here. He threw a no hitter for the Montreal Expos. Of course, Montreal Expos, every time they got a good player, they played four or five years there and then the, the Yankees generally bought them. Mm-hmm. So it's like everything else. Or the Dodgers may have uh, pulled them out or something like the big market teams are always going to take from the smaller markets. But the Montreal Expos had some talent back in the day. Wow. I wonder what, like, so, like, this was the eight. You said that mid 80s you're working? 70, it was, uh, I'm 78, 79, all the way to about 81. So, yeah. So what all has been at the fairgrounds? Oh this man, this whole time, you know, you you know, you had the Pipkin Building that mm-hmm. used to actually be a functional building. They would uh, do a lot of events and stuff out of there, but you had the the, the fairgrounds, Liberty Land over yeah. there, and you know, I, uh, Wilbur's brother uh, actually Kelly just put a picture of the Zippin' Pippin. 
he just drove by the or or that they took board by board down and is up in Wisconsin somewhere and it's back up. It's in full operation. Uh, but he just took a picture and posted it on Facebook the other day. Man, I really wish Dad would have kept that year because it was Elvis' favorite ride. You yeah. Know? Like, it, well, look at what they're trying to sneak in on the end of Mud Island or an end of a uh, yeah uh, 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 yeah Mud Island down there. They're trying to sneak a Ferris wheel in. You know, I know guys that live down in those beautiful homes down there, and they don't want to look out at a humongous Ferris wheel with a bunch of you know kids coming up there at eleven o'clock at night doing donut. Well, now I sound like. The old guy's hollering, get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, they, they didn't tell them. They had a meeting the same way they announced the plans. Like, they literally were like, we're going to have a neighborhood meeting. Here's the plans that are already approved. So and that's not kind of the area of town that you kind of want to go pushing around because everybody down there knows somebody. Yeah. So, you know, that's interesting because uh, I remember them years ago reading about, reading about, not that I was alive then, they wanted to come through Memphis, right through the center of Memphis with an interstate and a bunch of old ladies that played tea and, and, uh, and rummy, uh, right there in the park said, no, you're not bringing I-40 straight through Memphis. You're going to make the loop around it. And boss Crump got that all done. That in Memphis is the only place that I-40 stops. And it was because of, uh, the, the zoo, that area, a bunch of rich people that said, nope, you're not bringing the interstate right through here. And it stopped. So holy shit! So the, the people, the rich people at the zoo, are also the Greensward people, right? right? Well, but back then, Boss Crump run, ran this, the lobes that have all of the uh, uh, the property down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Midtown and everything, the Overton Square. That is, uh, Mister Loeb was the mayor right after Boss Crump. Boss Crump said, "Hey, Mister Loeb needs to be mayor now that I can't legally be mayor anymore," and he was landslide victory. You know, so uh, until <laughs> the his good old boys, yeah, yeah, that was the way it was done back in the day. You know, because Mister Loeb didn't make all that money off because he had uh, uh, laundry mats all over town, and that's what he was known for. You don't buy every piece of property on Overton Square off quarters from a laundromat. Mm. You do not do that. So there was some good old boys back in the day, you know, and I'm sure there still are some ways to this day. You know, this is the South. So what all what all bars and restaurants did you work for with or with Bud and Wilbur? Well, let me see. I started off with High Roller 2 with Wilbur and then uh, worked uh, uh, a little bit because I was still working some uh, regular jobs with Night Moves. And same with 616. And then the first full time that I went was at Shooter's. Uh, um, Tennessee's only five star honky tonk, you know, and, uh, it's at the top of the hill in Rock and Raleigh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, we got that going. We did a TV show out of there with Memphis Mark Bellingsley, uh, back in the day. Uh, and it actually was, uh, kicked off the air by the FCC for saying something now a 12 year old could say on TV. But we had a promotion. They didn't have ladies' nights back in the day, so we had started a ladies' night on Thursday nights, one of the first places in town. <clears throat> and we had uh, pre-mixed shooters that we would make, and uh, we would put uh, a, a good-looking guy because we had male dancers one night a, a month, and we would put a curtain right up through the middle of the club and have male strippers on one side, and our advertising was, you making fun of that, huh? 
Well, when we pull that curtain down at 10 o'clock, I got 300 horny women behind this curtain. What do you got? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, true. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we would put a male guy in. We had a little foyer and then it went into the ladies room, but we put a little guy in there with the pre-made shooters and we did a little promotion called Wine Me, Dine Me. And this is the exact way I said it to get kicked off there. Our Thursday special was Wine Me, Dine Me. 69 me, 69 cent drink specials all night at Thursday night at Shooters. That got me. It was on a Sunday night on UPN. UPN. There were only five stations in town and 30 and 24 were the new Youngblood stations, you know. So, yes. uh, And and Mark Bellingsley was the regular DJ on Kicks 106 at the time. So he, they had to pay a small fine uh, to keep it because it could have interfered with his actual real life job. Me, I mean, they kicking, you know, what's that? They well, they just bring another guy out and put him in the same seat I was sitting in and tell him, tell him what's happening this week. But yeah, so, uh, but shooters, I'm sorry, I got off on a tantrum there. But, uh, and then, uh, from shooters, we ended up going, uh, going down to Bill Street later on. Now, uh, I did help a little while at Ernestine and Hazel's when they first got it open. Uh, when we first bought the Green Beetle, uh, we had mugs for 24 hours. Uh, that, that was still the strangest thing. I literally took some stuff there and then I got a call and said, go get it. <laughs> and, uh, so that, and then, uh, if I remember right, is something similar happened with where uh, blue monkey is on, um, on Madison that was going to originally uh, be what could have been night moves. Mm. And then somehow, the, I don't know, I think somebody paid more money for the lease or something. I'm not sure that would definitely be a Wilbur question. But then they got the building out there at Winchester and Mendenhall, and the rest is history from there on that spot. But, yeah, we got down on Bill Street, uh, Blue City Cafe. Then we expanded into the gift shop, and then uh, we ended up expanding into 152. And then uh, I got the building next to that for a little while. It's, I mean, it's a, a candy place now. But there was generally from the alley uh, by uh, King's Palace uh, was Preston Lamb on one end, and it was Bud Chittam and Wilbur Hensley on the other. Yeah. And we had the, we were at the top of the hill. So of course, everything goes downhill from here. So, uh, yeah, you know, you remember when the little psychic shop was there? The which one? The psychic shop. Oh, yes. yes. I wor- so after I, <clears throat> after I stopped working at 152, the, the, Bobby was his name, the mm-hmm. psychic store owner. Remember him? Yeah. I was talking to him one day. He's like, yeah, man, you should come work for me. You know, work, I mean, I'm not a psychic. I don't, you know, he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you should come work the door because sometimes people get too drunk and they want to come in and stuff. You just keep them out. I'm like, all right. And I remember <clears throat> I used to push, um, that would go, I would go to the top of the hill, right? Mm-hmm. Right there in front of the Blue City. The van would come and I would help this old, old lady. I mean, she's probably, four, three feet tall, maybe three and a half feet tall. I help her get her into the wheelchair and I push her down the wheelchair on Saturday nights down Beale street. Everyone's drunk as shit. And I'm just pushing her. I could push her into the, uh, um, the psychic shop. And then I help her get out and put her into a 60 feet Toro or whatever. Right. That was the grandmother, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. I just remember how, how little she was. Yeah. And how, I mean, she was like 110 probably. Like, I don't, I was like, fuck. Like 110 man. years old, too. I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, 110 pounds, and like, she was super, super old. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that, and because uh, Memphis Music, they had a uh, an older gentleman that used to come down through there, too, but he would always have the Pimp Daddy suit on, you know, every Friday night have a different suit on. But yeah, those are some good times, though. People don't understand, uh, 
shoot back then when we had outside bars you remember when they actually yeah. still had the outside bars out there on the sidewalks mm-hmm. that all stopped because somebody uh, uh shot a firecracker off at about uh one o'clock at the morning in the morning and we had a stampede and we were literally holding the doors at blue city to keep people from coming in to keep the customers safe in yeah. there because these idiots and then they started <clears throat> jumping over the bars stealing the liquor trying to take the cash register Next thing you know, everybody's got a hole in their wall and there's window, you know, outside bars there. Yeah, it was it was a wild time on Beale back then. And like I'm t- I always tell people that are younger than me, and like you guys have no idea like how much fun it used to be on Beale Street. Like, you know, now you got like Tin Roof, you know, stuff like that, yeah. you know. <clears throat> but like outside Tin Roof, I, I don't think I even go to Beale Street. Is there something else I go to? Oh, well, since 152. Yeah, that's yeah. it, you know? Well, Wilbur always made a destination. Yeah, and you everybody know. went where yeah, Wilbur went. Yeah, always wanted, you know, because, look, working the door at a place for Wilbur is an experience in itself. Because everybody comes up and goes, I know Wilbur. He told me to, and, I, you know, we came up with a line years ago. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's no, no problem. Look, pay your cover now, and then go see <laughs> Wilbur inside, and he'll come back down and give him the money back. I just have to get it because, you know, cameras. Yeah, I actually say that shit all the time, man. I'm like, hey, man, come on, dude. I know you're friends with Wilbur. Yeah. You know, I know, I know. I've seen you talk to him before, you know? But, like, I, I can't, man. If they're watching the camera, they're going to think I get yeah, you for free. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble or fired. I can't do it, bro. I'm sorry. Go ahead and go step aside. Why don't you call him? You yeah. know, like, oh, I don't have his number in this phone. I'm like, yeah, because you're not friends with him, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you didn't have, look, man. Wilbur's number has been on more bathroom walls, uh, you know, than, than if you don't have Wilbur's number. Uh, and uh, look, I'm sure every woman out there has either probably put it up there to be mad at him, too. Look, this sorry, you know. But, uh, yeah, Wilbur's been, you know, uh, <laughs> has been pimp daddy around this city for a long, long time. And if you don't know who he is, then uh, you don't know Memphis music. I mean, that's pretty much it. it. That man, you know that at one point in time, he was the biggest ticket scalper that I've, I mean, I've, I've had people tell me in other parts of the country. And I mean, literally Montreal and down in, in Mexico City. Oh, Wilbur? Yeah, Wilbur, Memphis. Yeah, I get ticket tickets, Super Bowl. I cannot, because he I always had Super Bowl tickets yeah, to this day. Yeah, you know. Apparently, he, he at one point, he was like the biggest scalper the, the, in the country. I mean, I, I sat in, uh, there used to be a gentleman, I uh, can't think of his name off, but he was called the Ticket King here, uh, and then Wilbur. Actually, we were at a pay-per-view at uh, uh, Bret Hart. Uh, it was a Valentine's Day massacre they had uh, here at uh, the uh, at the pyramid. Oh yeah, at the pyramid, and uh, we were there. And then, and next thing I know, I'm there with my mother and my family and everything. But I run into Wilbur, and the next thing I know, somehow we're in a bathroom, and he's like telling me to watch watch for people because they're taking a couple of hits back in the back there, and the ticket king, and they're all talking, and and I'm sitting there thinking we're in the the nicest bathroom there in the pyramid at the time the lower level everything and here i am <laughs> just like a teenager again <laughs> at the door going i don't see anybody i don't see anybody it's all good it's all good you know puff puff pass yeah you know not that anybody does that anymore i just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just you know. um ticket king ticket king was it charlie raider or Ryder or something like that man i've still got one of his cards in my desk actually i still i can't think of it uh, he, uh, he, he, uh, left this world, un- uh, unceremoniously, uh, 
uh, kind of a bad way. And, and but he, I only knew him as a good guy, so I, I didn't yeah. know any of the other sides of him. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Charlie Ryan. That used to be one of the small owners or owners. Or, yeah, that that's who I was thinking of. Uh, no, he was Ticketmaster. Ticket, yeah, he King of Ticketmaster. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was Ticketmaster. Yes. Yes, Charlie Ryan. Yes, and uh, he owns a lot of property in uh, in the Cooper Young uh, area. He owns a, a, a large uh, uh, pieces of property around that area, and has done very well for himself. Um, uh, you know, but uh, Charlie, yeah, Charlie. <laughs> oh man, those are the good old days, man. What um? So what do you what do you, what are you up to now? Man, I'm uh, enjoying retired life. I uh, do the the podcast for the WWE podcast. I do the NXT review every uh, Tuesday, and uh, uh, generally, other than that, I go and and do whatever my sixteen uh, year old daughter tells me to do, and uh, she points, and I generally go that way. And then when I'm not going that way, my wife is pointing and telling me which way to go that way. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, or yeah, we're just out at Mullet Manor doing uh, doing some uh, repairs or something out there. Uh, we, we're adopting animals all the time, taking them in. So it's always something, you know, just did, uh, I was starting up a Twitter um, uh, wrestling space too. So just always something to do, you know, always something to do. So that's good that you're finding some, well, your daughter and your wife are making you find stuff to do also. But like, you know, because when you hear people retire, they say, if you don't use your brain, you lose your brain. Well, you know, a lot of people are sitting around just watching TV or stuff like that. They're bored as shit. Usually, you know. Like, you know, way. my father did. My father retired a few years after he retired. He passed away. And I know a lot of people that have done that. <clears throat> I'm not going to be in that kind of shape because everybody's going to make sure that I have something to do. Uh, but I was I did not mean to go into the uh, uh, retirement side. But uh, yeah, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's about nine years ago. So uh, if you don't want to cut your hand off, <laughs> you can't deal with knives and you can't work in a kitchen. If you can't deal with knives and then, uh, so there's just, you got to learn your limitations and do what you do. So, uh, so now this is kind of what I do. I, uh, I'm a professional me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually just, uh, my daughter's dad. You know what I mean? I'm not, uh, blue city Mark anymore or bill street Mark, whatever the people used to call whatever back in the day. I'm just uh, a G's dad. And I yeah. kind of like that. <clears throat> How did they know your diagnosis? Uh, I, my father had Parkinson's, uh, that we found out later, but he always had a, a, a shake to him, which he actually used in welding to perfection. He could weld like you wouldn't believe because he shook. And he, when he did, he, he, with the rod, he could make a perfect bead. So it was, it worked great for him. But with me, I started having a lot of, uh, little problems. I went to a doctor. He didn't quite understand. So he sent me to a specialist. And the next thing you know, he sent me to a movement disorder specialist and that a neurologist that is a movement disorder specialist. And, uh, they run tests over there and test and test and, and do a bunch of different stuff. And then one day they just come back in and tell you, you pretty much got Parkinson's and that you've got it in an early stage. And, uh, you know, and so I caught mine very early and was able to get on the right medication. I was able to have some places like Vanderbilt University and the University of uh, Tennessee and the University of Colorado uh, do some great uh, stuff with me. So it uh, helped with my stuttering and and a little of everything. So uh, now it's just, uh, uh, you know, uh, self-medicating and uh, and doing what the docs tell you. So do you think eventually there's going to be, it's going to be eradicated, hopefully? 
I, I mean, I hope everything, like cancer and everything else, is eventually. But I don't see, <clears throat> I don't see as much research being done into the field as as they say that is. There's a lot of money being raised, and some good universities doing some good work. Uh, but I don't see a lot of the progressions that I would have hoped to have seen by now. I see a lot of people coming up with smoking uh, uh, mirrors uh, and a lot of things, and and of course. Everybody's got a cure. Everybody's got somebody's. Look, I've got a, a, a an uncle that's an Indian, and they don't they <laughs> got this. Or, or there's been a study out of Uzbekistan uh, somewhere that they tested it on on antelope. Or I just everybody's got something, and I just believe you're dealt with. You dealt with, and if it comes in my lifetime, then that's great. If not, I'll deal with it, and that's just the way it is. I don't consider myself. I have Parkinson's. It doesn't have me. Mm. So, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I use the phrase, uh, phrase shake, rattle, and roll, man. That's Memphis. That's uh, so if we just, you know, uh, if, if you get a pothole in Memphis, you learn to either drive around it or you're going to drive right through it and bust your rim. Well, if yeah. you're a, if you're a lifelong Memphian, you're going to remember that pothole. You won't hit it again after you hit it one time. So that's, that's kind of my, my motto in life. Now, is that what, Freddie Roach and Michael J. Fox have. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, Freddie Roach has got a great program that's helped me a bunch called Rock Steady. It's a boxing program, <clears throat> and it is absolutely fantastic. I suggest it for anybody that even if, you, if you're just having getting a little with age, getting a little weaker or you don't feel like exercising. This is something that is actually fun. Uh, it, it gets you active, gets the heart rate up. Uh, and it and it does the right exercises for your for the neur, neurology or the neurologic I don't know if that's a proper mm. word side of things but it's it does uh, help you uh, it exercises all the things that uh, that you uh, don't think is is going bad yet so it catches it before like I I, I lost uh, a, a lot of my movement in two of my fingers. Uh, and now I, with the exercises I do, I don't have that problem. I'll just get a cramp mm. and it's just like a cramp. Like you and I would get, it's just, I get it at weird times. Like when I'm holding a drink yeah. <laughs> or something, you know, so if you're ever out there and you see me just drop a drink, I'm not drunk. I just, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I probably just, uh, had a hand cramp. <laughs> That's interesting. You need to get with you one of those um, lanyards with the koozie holder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. Look, man, I'm all for it. When the time comes that I may need to to be propelled around in some kind of vehicle, I want a tank. Uh, you know, I want I want everything that my insurance will pay for. I'm going out like I could just say I saw somebody the other day that had uh, uh, tire tracks or tank tracks on a on a, uh, a little scooter, and he was going up a hill in the snow uh, with a grill on the back, and uh, he was uh, a, a, a paraplegic from the uh, from the Iraqi War, and I thought, now that is cool. That is cool. They're making stuff now that guys that have no matter what the the health problem, whatever. Uh, if you have the the notion to get up and move, there's somebody out there that's figured a way for you to get up and move. You just got to want to get up and move. And that's as long as you stay active, man. Shoot, ain't nothing, ain't nothing you can't do. Didn't mean to bum out. Oh, no, that's man. good, man. I mean, that's life. Yeah, yeah. That's you it. Know? I mean, uh, you know, you can look at a lot of things. I've, I've, I've lost so many friends that didn't have the chance uh, to. I just lost one of my best friends uh, from high school. Uh, grew up in this neighborhood, um, 
had a heart attack from stress. You know, he was he worked for FedEx, didn't come in from his route. Wife goes to look for him. They cut on the camera in his in his his van, and they you know that's the first thing they see. Oh shit! Yeah, and that was stress related. That you know, because the man just he he put everything on his shoulders. That ain't me. Yeah, and there ain't no stress here. You know, if if something if I don't like a, an area or any situation I'm in, I just leave. I don't let anybody get me down. I never in my life again, hopefully, good Lord willing, will never let anybody bring me down to their level. Mm. Uh, even if it's a better level, I'm going to stay at whatever <laughs> my level is because that's all I know. Yeah. And that's so true, though, because, like, there's a lot of people that they're just coasting through life and not thinking about their fitness or their health. And then they get sick and then they die. And it's like if you could have done things like a little preventative things or cut people out or cut some stress out of your life, then maybe you wouldn't be in that situation where it's, it's bleak. Absolutely. <clears throat> Very good friend of mine. One of my best friends now uh, uh, that I could say is, uh, is uh, my buddy D it uh, works downtown a bartender um, about eight, nine years younger than me. Um, feels a little bad at work. Uh, they make him, they say, man, he just didn't look right. So they made him go to the doctor. Next thing you know, they're taking him over and he had a heart attack. Wow. Now he had to quit drinking, had to quit smoking, uh, had to do all these things. And that's usually your downfall because people won't do what they're, what they said. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm proud to say that my partner has quit. It's, I think he's like 67 days with no alcohol. He quit uh, cigarettes. Uh, you know, he's eating right lost the weight and the doctors are amazed uh, uh and he's doing everything right but i caught myself the other day uh cuz he's going to every game he's going to every reggae show out of town he's he's booking stuff on mega bus and getting dollar tickets cuz he's booking it so far ahead of time but he's like they're playing at red rocks or they i'm going down for the but he's doing and i was like man why are you doing all this and he was like man when you actually get that close to dying man he goes, you start thinking about it. He goes, I don't want to have any regrets and not do something I ever wanted to do because I'm going to do it. He doesn't have any kids. He's not married. Uh, so he's freaking enjoying himself. And, you know, I felt like an idiot uh, by for even saying that. I should have known something like that. But yeah. you don't think about it. You don't think about it. But, hey, he is, man, you know, he, we're at every game. He will be going to Tampa with us when we go down for the Tiger game. Uh, he's my traveling guy. Uh, you know, and I would have hated to lose him, you know, but, uh, uh, luckily he's, he's doing what the doctor said and, uh, and he's living proof that you can have something like that happen. And if you listen to what the professionals say, the reason they have those expensive pieces of paper on the walls, cause somebody told them a lot of smart things and, uh, they're a lot smarter than us. And, uh, if you listen to them, then you can get yourself back in order and get things, you know, nobody's ever going to be perfect. We're always going to have a, a hitch in our giddy up, but uh, we can sure do something about it, you know, put a little oil on it so we don't squeak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to get in front of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the older I get, the more I realize that the health is wealth is true. Because like you said, there, I always say there's no point of one nice stuff or anything like that if your health is not in order. Because if you're not healthy enough to enjoy it, then what's the point of one nice stuff? Like we're winning the lottery and dying the next day, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's just it's yeah. And and I've never been a rich rich man, so I I won't know what that's like. 
but I can sure uh, live like I am. Yeah. You know, and uh, and out there, look, my little paradise I have out there in Tipton County, like I said, I can I can catch a fish, clean it, and have it in grease in seven minutes. Oh, that's, that's legit right there. So if that ain't heaven, I don't know what is, man. <laughs> <clears throat> do you um do you fish every day? Not not every day, but every week. Yeah, I'm out there just about every week. Uh, I'll lose a bait about once a week. Yeah, uh, I'm very good at. Uh, I'm an excellent tree fisherman. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. took me a second to realize what you meant. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh shit, okay, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, you know, I, and I actually, since the water is low this time of the year, and this is only my, our second year out uh, living on the lake, so when the water goes down, I know now why people spend so much time pruning and doing all that. So. Because first of all, you go get all the lures that you lost. So now, you know, like I go out there and I get like 12 lures, but I cut all the limbs off the lower. So you kind of, you go, you just picture yourself going, no, I'd get it caught on that limb right there. So I'll just go ahead and take that on out. So now this coming, this upcoming year, I'll probably only lose half of, uh, half of as many lures. <laughs> what are you fishing for? Uh, and we have bass, brim, and crappie. Okay. And, brim is a little bitty one, right? Uh, brims, well, my brim are about a pound, pound and a half, and my crappie are between two and three pounds. And, and that, that uh, three-pound crappie will feed uh, feed you, uh, feed me, you know. Yeah. And so you catch a couple of them, you got a meal. You got a good meal. You got, you know, two good-sized fillets, and that is some of the best eating. Son, that's some of the best eating. Really? And even the bass, man, when you – I think bass out of a lake – I like bass. I know there's a lot of people that don't, and I don't really care. Uh, but uh, uh, bass is really good, and, and I've got a lot of smaller bass in there, so they put up a great fight. So I go out there. Sometimes it looks – I mean, I'm six, about 6'2", six 200-something pounds, and I love going out there with like a kid's reel, a little bitty small reel, and just – Fight because it's like you're just you're, you're. I'm out in the ocean somewhere on a on a thousand dollar an hour boat. Instead, I'm on an aluminum John boat that's actually sitting on the bank. I just like to sit in the boat while it's on the land, and I fish out of that. And it just it's it's a great feeling. You get out there, you forget about things, put a little music on in the background, possibly have a cocktail, you know, and it's a great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, I love fishing because it's like one of those things you can do with somebody or you can do it by yourself. Absolutely. Well, I found that the same way with marriage, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember one time I went fishing with him at our buddy Thacker's um, house, and he's catching, like, fish, like, five or six, you know. I've, I'm out there for the same amount of time. I caught nothing. Well, I had some neighbors that asked if they could fish, and I was like, of course, absolutely. And they came down, and they had the nicest they had tackle boxes that looked like four hundred dollars. They had, they had ever didn't catch. They caught two little small fish, and uh, I, I'm being I'm learning uh, this Twitter world. So I've I've, uh, I've gotten into a couple of these Discord you know places rooms or whatever they call them, uh, and uh, I was talking to some guys that were in and uh, not in Russia but they were in um, Turkey. And they were like, it was cold, everything. And I was like, oh man, I can go out here and catch some fish now. And, and they, I, next thing I know, I'm in video chat and I'm fishing with some guys in Turkey, uh, you know, here in Tipton County, Tennessee here. Uh, and they were amazed. They had never seen a, a crappie or a brim before. They'd never seen anything really? like that. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you know, I can go down to the Mississippi River. There, I can catch you a catfish out there that we can fill up the back of a truck bed. You know? <laughs> I used to see when I lived down on the bluff, man, I watched them guys come down there with like four spark plugs, 
on the end of their line to throw it way out there and they'd sit there for hours and you're like, I just can't see, you know, what the deal is. And then, but when they caught one, I've literally seen them have to use a winch to get the catfish in. That's insane. Like, how much, I'm sorry. <clears throat> no, on the cobblestones though. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, literally just, you know, small guys out there and they, and you think they ain't got nothing and they take a box up out of their back of the truck and they've got a winch mounted back there and they just, Click it on, and here comes the catfish that big, and they sell them. They, they take them straight over and sell them to the fish market down on 3rd Street. They, wow. Yeah, and they, they cut the them up. The biggest ones? The big ones, yeah. They, that and buffalo. Either one of those fish they catch out of the Mississippi, you can take it right over there and set. Well, you used to could. Now that the health department's listening to this, they might have just cut off a service. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't be mad at me uh, if I did that. Damn. That's crazy, man. Like, I never, like, I just assumed, like, you took a picture with it and then put it back in the water. No? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. First of all, you don't want to try to put that big sucker back in the water once you get him out. Uh, but no, they, uh, they tell, take them that meat. You got to consider on a catfish, you're going to get a fillet generally about, like, you know, I'm, I'm holding my hand up about eight to 10 inches. That's a good size fillet. You're talking about a fillet that big, Jesus. you can go down it and tuna steak it, and uh, and sell them, you know, like four dollars a piece, like a loaf of bread. You take it yeah. literally and like cut a loaf of bread out of it, four dollars a slice. You pay hundred bucks for the fish, make six hundred off of it. You know, it's good for everybody. Guy makes a hundred dollars for fishing, another guy makes six hundred dollars for not fishing, but yeah. selling them. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, dude, that's impressive right there. That's how it used to be done in the neighborhoods. You know, you used to uh, everything like that, you know, but you know, of course, big business and everything else, you lo- lose the mom and pops and you lose all that. You know, I mean, nobody would know what it was like to have a, a, a tab at a, you know, I, I used to have a tab at a grocery store, you know, you paid at the end of the month. Oh, really? Like, yeah. like the old general store? Yeah. Like- well, no, at a grocery store. We've had them at the local grocery store, a pick pack. We used to have a pick pack here and uh, uh, Cecil's. I remember Back in it, yeah, you know, uh, if you don't, yeah, there's some of those, if you, yeah, you could get a tab and you would just go up with your, and you would get your receipt and take it up to the cashier desk and they would staple it to your card. And then, uh, that was, that was, yeah, you'd pay at the end of the month. Hmm. Now I know my parents used to do that They're at our convenience store, you know, like write people's names down a little, yeah, like, you know, yeah. like 10, $12, $5, whatever. But you talk about big, big money. Well, you know, you know, you depending on, but yeah, you, 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 if you're buying your groceries each week, but if you got paid at a certain time of the month, you know, then everybody that they didn't want to lose your business. It was good for them. They knew they were going to get paid. I mean, back then, of course, people yeah. paid their bills. It's a strange thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but now the bar business, that was hell to keep up with the tabs. Because when you opened your bar, you would have a ledger of everybody's tabs and you could not mess that up. Or, you know, like, like somebody like Wilbur would be coming, you know, cause Wilbur is like a freaking mathematical genius. And I mean, seriously, he can, yeah. he can di- decipher, he can count and he doesn't have to take his shoes off like me. I have to, <laughs> you know, but he's, he, and if you messed up that ledger and, and, you know, or, and these guys that had a tab too, they knew they had, I, you know, 19 beers on that tab. They didn't have 20. You know, they'd say they had 18, but they never going to say they had 20. But they, you know, that was it. So you'd have to argue with that. Or argue, And then, you know, of course, that was they used to tip you then. So 
if you weren't the bartender that that waited on them, then you pissed the bartender off that didn't get tipped for that. You know, it was just yeah. a cycle of confusion. How long ago did they stop doing that? Like, oh, let people have tabs. Well, you really you had to stop doing that once you went to a POS system. Mm. That that the once the POS system came in because when I first started at Blue City, we still didn't have POS systems. It was a cash box. Yeah, there was cash registers uh, still used and everything. And I, I'll never forget we went to the POS system. And do you remember Joe the Hat? Yeah. Okay. Well, here <laughs> this is my first Joe the Hat story. Uh, it, it, so uh, Bud tells me pretty much they had the training for the managers to train us how to uh, to do. It was Aloha back then, the POS system. It was how to do work it and how to move things around and do everything. And it was uh, myself, uh, Taiji, uh, Doug Gordon, uh, and uh, yeah, it was just us three. And then and then uh, Bud and them sit in there, but they didn't pay attention. Nothing. It was us that had to do it. And I'll never forget Bud going, <clears throat> "Hey, Mark." you're going to need to train Joe the hat. And I was like, what? What? I'm no. And he was like, he needs to know how to do it or you're going to have to work his shift. And I was, so we took Joe the hat to computer school. He wasn't on the POS system 17, less than 20 minutes. And he shut the whole system down. Uh, He, then he broke a screen by punching it yeah uh, and he was like I, I just used my damn finger at all you know and uh you'd have to know joe to understand that completely uh just imagine a guy with spray on hair that if you touched his hair he would beat you senseless uh and that's joe uh <laughs> yeah but uh yeah you know joe uh a bud for one year for christmas bought uh joe Allah's his hair uh the the spray stuff really yeah he you know he would you would, I don't know how it worked, but somehow you sprayed it and you combed it and it made a little bit of hair look thicker. And they were going out of business and Bud bought them out. We had, I'll never forget having to get an 18 wheeler over there on Madison <laughs> Avenue to a warehouse over there and they were unloading. And I'm like looking at this stuff going, we don't use this. What is this? Fibamina, Fob, you know, and it was yeah. a big long name. And then finally I'm like, hair care. And then everybody's like, don't tell, don't tell Joe. That's his Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny story with Joe, while Joe the Hat. He comes to me one day at 152. He goes, hey, come here. Come to Blue for a second. I'm like, okay, let me just tell the manager. I'm going to walk over here. He's like, all right. I'll walk over there. He's like, I got this cemetery, and I need you to go there and cut the grass. I mean, I was like, I don't have a lawnmower. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to do this. I don't know how to edge or nothing. He's like, everything's there. I just need you to go do this. And then um, I was like, okay, sure. And I, I started going there with Chris, the head bouncer, mm-hmm. or it was just Dwight. Remember right. Dwight? Yeah. And uh, Dwight's like, let's go out there with Chris one day and do it. I'm like, all right, well, I don't even have a car to get there. Like whatever. Sometimes, long story short, it's getting nighttime and we're still out there. And I just hear this fucking sound. I'm gone. <laughs> I was like, this is a fucking cemetery. I'm the oldest Jewish cemetery in Memphis. Yeah. That's was, some of the originals are buried out there. I was like, fuck this. I don't even remember where it is or anything. But I was like, dude, I don't want to. I'm just a bouncer, man. Like When he had his heart attack, they couldn't get to him because he lived on that, you know, on that property. And they couldn't get to him because the, he had a pack of dogs out there, too. So uh, you're, it's a nighttime. It's a graveyard. 
dogs are screaming and paramedics are like, I ain't, I, you know, I ain't going in there, man. I, you know, they didn't, they had to come get the dogs and, and everything. So yeah, that was a, that was a bad night. But yeah, Joe, Joe uh, would have his, would have his, uh, uh, his, his a funeral out there, and I would always go, Joe, you don't wear that German flag to the funeral place there, do you? And he's like, all right, they're all gone. They don't know where, you know, they know they're dead out there. They don't give a shit. You know, I'm like, Joe, you can't, you can't wear that because he had the, remember the tattoo parlor at the end of, at Fourth and Bill we had for a yeah. while? It, you know, upstairs that Joe opened, he was going to have his own bar for a little while. Then it was going to be the clubhouse for the family, his motorcycle gang. And he invited a bunch of these lawyers that used to come in uh, to Blue City. He was like, we're going to open up after Blue City, you know, so, uh, you know, y'all come on down. Well, Joe, Joe didn't, uh, how can I put this in a nice way? Uh, I'll just have to say, well, Joe invited a bunch of nice Jewish lawyers up to a place that had a big swastika behind the bar wow, <laughs> uh, and rebel flags all over the place. And, and, and of course they were polite. They came up and they sat there for a few minutes and you could see they were assholes were tight. Cause they didn't want, you know, they were just couldn't believe they were in this place. And then once I got up there and we kind of explained, Joe, you know, you got to take that down, man. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. And he's like, what? Well, that's just something I had around the house. I was just covering a hole actually, you know, <laughs> That's exactly what he sounded like, too. I remember <laughs> yeah. that. His conversation with that guy was, I'm like, what do you say? And then he's like, oh, okay. And then, like, he'll come back later. He, why should you do what I told you to do? I'm like, I didn't know what the fuck yeah. he said. That's why. I had no idea. And Joe going out to, to tell all the crackheads to get off the corner. I done told you, get your ass off this damn corner. Well, he ain't going nowhere, Joe. Fuck you, Joe. Fuck you. And, oh, Really? And pull that pistol out, boom, shoot into the sidewalk. What? Crackheads <laughs> run everywhere, everywhere. And that, that man crazy up there. God damn right I am, you know. And he'd just walk on back in the club. Oh. Crackheads would go get the law, come back down, and right when they get to Blue City, they go, oh, hell, you just grabbed Joe the Hat. Never mind. And they just, yeah. turn, just turn and walk away, you know. How do you get the name The Hat? Because he, he was going bald, and he would always have a hat on. Oh, okay. Like a top hat, yeah. wasn't it? Well, yeah, he wore every type of hat, but yeah. down at, at, the, at the underground, okay. there used to be a place, a big biker bar uh, at the underground at uh, Winchester Lamar, mm-hmm. and it was down in the basement down there. And him and Skinny, which was uh, Steve Cooper's right-hand mm-hmm. man, uh, well, they were the big bikers. Like they, you know, they had the kind of bikes that were in like Easy Rider magazine. And that Skinny had been in there. I think Skinny had been in there two or three times. And Joe would have the same type bike, but it would be pieced together. Mm. You know, like Skinny would have the nice chrome version, and and then and Joe's would all be kind of like his. You know, it was, but <laughs> you know, it did the same thing. It just looked a hair bit different. You know, it didn't have all the chrome. On it, but yeah. Uh, what was the guy? Edward McCain, uh, the singer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, he was in one night, and Joe uh, got him to go to Printer's Alley. Oh, and uh, Joe's like, "Well, he's like, I don't have a car." And Joe's like, "Get on the back." And he's like, "No, you don't. You don't even have a helmet." He goes, "I don't need no damn helmet. It's Memphis, you know." <laughs> and uh, so they get on it, run every red light, about a hundred miles an hour, get down there. The next CD comes out. I can't think of the name of the song, but there's a song on there that pretty much describes that ride down to <laughs> Printer's Alley of him just holding on. He described it as having blue knuckles 
And uh, when he got off there, he just kissed the sidewalk and like prayed. <laughs> it was oh, like, that's but, awesome. And Joe was like, "Oh damn, son!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that guy was wild, man. What was your story you were going to tell about? It was a club. Oh, which one? Uh, it was like uh, the guy that has the adult club. I think you said. Oh, something. um, damn. There's so many. I'm wait, sorry. wait, wait. <laughs> Oh, shit, yeah. What was the name of the adult club? Damn. Oh, he mentioned it earlier when we were talking. Oh, it'll come to me in a minute. I'm trying to think of the guy's name right now because I remember we talking about. So what made Memphis, like, for wrestling such a big thing? Well, you know, that uh, that goes back to the territories. Um, and, you know, you had every every region was a territory. And the the territory here was Evansville, Indiana, Kentucky, a little bit of Kentucky, Nashville, and here, Tupelo, that, that little, about two hour, two, two and a half to three hour drive mm-hmm. from Nashville, everywhere. And uh, this territory had Saturday morning wrestling. And you have to really think about this. Seven out of every 10 TVs were on Memphis wrestling at its peak. Wow, really? Seven out of 10. To advertise on Saturday morning wrestling costs cost you more to advertise then than it did at five o'clock news so that'll give you the the draw and look they had uh uh it wasn't iron yeah it was iron chic they brought him in and they had just had uh there was something going on overseas that may have been the Turan thing or whatever i can't remember whatever but uh he got on there and did the uh, america this and all this stuff they had the law had to come up and go into the studio and have send officers to stand there because there were threats that this guy and his son were heading up there. They were within walking distance of Channel 5, and they were bringing their rifles up there, and they were going to take care of that iron sheet. Wow. And the the law had to come in. And you got to remember, the police station's right across the street, too. Yeah. But, you know, and then you look at what they did. You did have you ever seen when Lawler got hit by the car, when Eddie Gilbert hit him with a car? Mm-mm. Oh, these are great things to go back and look. TV5 Wrestling. They fight out into the parking lot. Uh, Eddie Gilbert uh, and, and runs away. They don't see him for a second. Of course, there's a car parked. If you go back and look at there's a car parked perfectly in the middle of the driveway. <laughs> and uh, and Lawler's like, hey, hey, that's that's Eddie Gilbert. So he goes and walks towards the car, an s- appropriate thing to do. And uh, the car comes flying at him. And, and uh, of course, Lawler is super strong, so he's going to stop the car. But it doesn't work <laughs> that way. Uh, and, and, and Eddie was actually going faster than he should have been. Lawler was going to jump up and just kind of get bumped off the fender. Yeah. But Eddie was going a little faster, so he actually went up on the fender, up on the windshield, and flipped off and, oh, and missed wrestling for about a month because he was hurt from that. And so they had to write that into the storyline. Wow. That, you know, Eddie Gilbert almost killed Jerry Lawler out there, but the law got called. There were police reports filed that they saw that on TV, that there was an assault, and they had to go down there because back in the day, it, there was a point in time uh, that I had over – uh, and I'm I'm going to throw this number out here, and I know it's extremely low. Three hundred assaults on my record. You did? I did because <laughs> back in the day, you could just I could throw you out of a bar uh-huh. on at Friday night at nine o'clock. If you got there before the desk manager at two o one got off, you could go down and file a report, an assault, a report against me. Mm-hmm. No witnesses, just your word. 
Wow. They would come pick me up, put me in jail for the night. I would get bonded out for free, and then uh, and then we would go to court and would get thrown out of court uh, every time, every time. But it used to be that easy to do it, and the, about you know, some stupid number, two, three hundred. One of the judges noticed that and was like, "This is ridiculous." Mm-hmm. And uh, they changed. They got the laws changing up to where you had to have a credible witness, uh, you know, whatever the things. But that is one of the reasons is because doormen uh, or whatever were getting like arrested a stupid amount of times. You know, the guy, the poor guy at Hernando's Hideaway. I would hate to think how many times he went in because they they were throwing twelve, fifteen people a day out of there on a on a good night. If Jerry Lee Lewis played there. They'd throw forty people out of that place. You know, those are some busy. Those guys made their money back in the day. Yeah, you know, nothing like now. At least with a, with uh, with uh, the new years or with age, most people have gotten a little smarter. But man, I've worked places that had chicken wire literally in front of the bar. You know, you didn't say nothing to a guy for throwing his beer bottle at the bar. You know, <laughs> literally, yeah. I mean, literally, you there was about like chicken, in Roadhouse. There was there was chicken wire. Yeah, and and if you go back in Roadhouse, if you go back to Roadhouse. Uh, my first wife uh, was a manager for Wilbur, uh, a little older than me, uh, uh, but her oldest son uh, is somehow the story comes back to the uh, that Patrick Swayze played would have been her baby's daddy. That was the movie was written about. He was Russell, I believe was his name, and he worked at Yosemite Sam's. And uh, some of the loosely, loosely, some of that was written off some of the legend of that, you know, from what I heard in the day. But it was a lot of coincidences. But, yeah, but way before Roadhouse, I'm talking about, like, Mickey Gilly, uh, um, uh, urban cowboy-type days in the 70s. Yeah, they would, at the VFWs and stuff like that, you work those new places. You work sound. You would have a cage around you sometimes because people would just, if you didn't, if the microphone yeah, uh, would squeak or something. Some drunk would throw a beer bottle. What the uh, fuck? You know, yeah, and you couldn't do anything about it. You know, that was just you know, and, and it would splash on <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, and everything, yeah. So yeah. yeah, that goes. That was that was even prior. That's that's gone way way back. Uh, but yeah, that, you know, that was for real <laughs> back in the Jesus. day. Man, I'm trying. I'm sitting here trying to think of the strip club guy now. Oh. um... Dundee, Crocodile Dundee. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. here we go. Here yeah. we go. So we're going to Pickwick, and uh, we, we, we're we driving along, and we see girls, girls, girls. Well, of course, four or five single guys in a car going to Pickwick, and you see a sign like that, you got to stop and see if they have any nice treats or anything like that, <laughs> you know, a little trinket you might want to take along with you. So we stop in there, and it is the – it's a barn – a big open barn with a bar on one side, tables and chairs, and a stage in the middle. And there's an extremely large lady on the stage. And when I say <laughs> large, I'm saying if she had a tattoo of Texas on it, it would have every map of all the highways and byways. <laughs> and when she backed up, it literally went beep. Uh, but uh, she was working, and then there was another rather large lady that was a waitress that came over and of course gives you that smile what can i get y'all and of course we're looking around going hell we gotta at least have one beer in here just to you know and this is uh pre phone of uh uh cameras on phones Mm -hmm. you had cell phones just didn't have uh, cameras on them yet so uh i look over at the bartender though and he's putting a trash bag in a trash and i was like man 
that dude with the mullet there, he looks, that looks like Bill Dundee. And we sit down, and, and one of my friends goes, that's, 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 damn it, that's Bill Dundee. And we're like, no, no. And I go up, and I was like, uh, Mr. Dundee? And he's like, hey, hey you know, and he, and he starts into his whole little deal, tries to sell me an 8 by 10 before I walk away, that type deal. And he comes over to the table, and he's like, yeah, that's my wife, and that's her sister. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and we have to act, you know. And his sister comes up, and she's still totally nude and uh, with a, a nipple pointed north and south, not east and west, <laughs> and, uh, and and introduces herself. And we're trying definitely not to look into her eyes because we're afraid that there might be a trance or something, <laughs> you know, because apparently there have been other people there before us, and I don't know how they chose to go that route, but maybe there was a trance involved. I don't know, but uh, we uh, we drank our beer and uh, got the hell out of there. We tipped them. I know we tipped uh, $7 on three beers, and you'd have thought we had left a $100 bill because they were like, whoa, you know. <laughs> I could just see them going, we're going to the Tottle House, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, that's and I, as far as I know, that may still be open. I don't know. It was, uh, man, I can't remember that little city. It's right off the interstate. Yeah. <laughs> And and Bill Dundee had his picture on the car. I did notice that he had a uh, had a uh, yeah. He still has that car. Uh, oh, I've I've nice. seen that car on the interstate. That is hilarious. And I'm like, oh, there goes Bill Dundee. How do you know that? It's his fucking car. He's yeah. he's on the car. Wait till he gets out. And look at the phone books he's sitting on. You know. <laughs> <laughs> look, I actually saw. Remember they used to have the midget wrestling. Yeah. Uh, it, look, they had a guy that used to wrestle for Mike Glenn. Some down at the uh, New Daisy. Daisy. And uh, he was a badass. I mean, a true badass. I mean, he that tall, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, but he would sit on phone books. And I'll never forget, he caught his girlfriend, a normal-sized lady, uh, cheating on him. And he wheeled up. He had an old Monte Carlo. And he wheeled up. And he door flies open, and he flops out of that thing, and about three phone books fall. <laughs> and then he waddles over to the dude, and he's kissing on the girl. And the girl sees him, and you can see her eyes get big. But the guy's, like, on her neck, you know, uh, he's preoccupied. And that little dude walked up and grabbed hold of a hand of manhood on that gentleman. He just reached right, you know, and the guy's got his his butts right in his face. So he just reaches up and grabs that guy. And that guy let out a yell. And I've only heard that yell. I, I, I caught a guy peeing on the or on our, our fence behind Blue City once. I told him not to do it again, and he did it again later, and I sprayed him right in mid-pee with mace. Oh, and that oh guy, God. Yeah, he made a scream going down the alley. He was like a pinball. He was hitting each side <laughs> of that alley. But that guy made that kind of a scream. It, it, once you hear it, you'll never, ever forget it. I think it's also the same sound coyotes make when they're being gang raped. I think that's <laughs> what I was told. But, I mean, it's a screeching, screeching sound. Wow. Yeah, don't mess with short guys that are really like athletic because they have very strong hands and your junk is right in that area. <laughs> yeah, they got um, at Sidecar they do the the uh, midget wrestling. Oh, oh, do they? Yeah, uh, they've done it twice. I'll ask Mike. I'll ask Mike next time he has it. We can go up there, man. It'd be those, fun, dude. Those were some of the best, man. And I've gotten pushed into one once. Uh, uh, they were doing. It wasn't, a, it wasn't like pudding or something. It wasn't liquid. They had like an inflatable something that they were doing the match on or whatever, but I got pushed into that. And then the next thing I know, I had like guys flying towards me, you know, like in the middle of like a, a macho man with yeah. the elbow. And it didn't hurt or nothing, but it's still, it's, it's an odd sight seeing a small gentleman <laughs> fly through the air towards your head. Yeah. 
It's just, I don't care how many times they tell you it's not going to hurt. You still go, you know, yeah. you still flinch. Uh, but yeah, not that I'm a proponent of throwing small people through the air. <laughs> well, I that just want to make sure. That was a thing. I mean, I'm sure it's still a thing because I mean, I didn't even know about it until I watched Wolf of Wall Street. And in one of the scenes, they're throwing little people onto like a Velcro board. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, I'm sure that's still a thing that you. No, we used to do. We used to put the uh, 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 spray paint lines in the parking lot, and you would see how far you could throw them. And, no, I'm serious. That was a thing. We did that, and uh, and the other one was we would do a bingo card and put a cow out there inside of an encage. We encage the bingo card and then feed the cow alfalfa, and then you would have guys at at happy hour in suits. Lawyers, doctors out there hollering at a cow's ass because wherever you shit, yeah, that's the number. Yeah, that's how you win. <laughs> and so you would have guys at four o'clock in the afternoon out in Raleigh in suits and ties out there hollering at an ass. And I know people going by. There was a little feed store across the road, and you'd see those people getting out of there. And I know they're buying feed for a cow, probably going, "What in the hell are these city people doing hollering at a cow's ass?" You know. <clears throat> but yeah, it was that was some great stuff back in the day. <laughs> Midget tossing and 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 we called it bingo bongo, where the you know bingo where the bingo bongo. lands is where. The <laughs> wow, Memphis was a wild place. Sounds like back in the day, back in the day, you even had the summer twin drive-in. We used to do the shows there. We would take over the whole drive-in and set the bands up. We had, I think, we had the Scorpions play there. It was one of the biggest bands we had. But uh, uh, then we had to figure out because everybody with a four-wheel drive would park behind it. And because they could get back there, because that was a big four wheel drive every mm. off of Covington Pike. Yeah, it still is. Would, yeah, and they would pull up in their four wheel drives, and there'd be three hundred people back there on their. So, the next year we did it. Uh, we literally went and rented uh, like something to go up in front, so we blocked their view. So then there was people trying to catch it on fire. <laughs> we had to deal with. Yeah, it was rough trying to make money back in the day. You know. Wow. So you think uh, you think Beale Street Music Fest is going to be popular with the new park the way it's going to be? Man, I, it's just uh, best way I can describe that is uh, when they they closed Night Moves for a while and we opened it up and it was going to be called Denim and Diamonds, mm-hmm. the original Denim and Diamonds, not the one over in the shopping center. But oh we, yeah, we had the original Denim and Diamonds. So they closed Night Moves down. They opened that up and it was just too nice. We had shooters. It was really nice, but oh, oh, oh boy, if he wanted to, to, to had a chaw of tobacco in his mouth and he spit on the floor, it's not that big of a deal at shooters. Over at this place, nice. They had uh, an etched glass guy come in and do this glass, and they had a booth set up that at once an hour, the thing would vibrate, and it looked like you were in a old-type uh, 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 carriage, like you were riding in a carriage and people were running up shooting at you in the glass. It was mm. It was just nice as could be, but it was just too pretty. It was just too pretty. It lasted about six weeks. They closed it down, and Illusions was born. The first, you know, the techno club, new version of a techno club. So that's how you know, kind of how that came around. But that's that's kind of the way. It places just a little too nice, you know, a little too pretty. So the uh, park is going to be too nice. Yeah, I think you, they put back three hundred thousand dollars for damages. That's what Mayor Strickland said. Uh, now, $300,000 sounds like a lot of money. If they tear up uh, curbing and, and resodding and uh, a few other things like that, $300,000 is not going to go very far. And if you have 
In the old days, if you'd have had Limp Biscuit play at the same time 3-6 Mafia was playing, that crowd, with both of those crowds, you're going to tear some shit up. You just are. Mm. Those are that young of a crowd and that many people that you're going to have for that and energetic crowd that's going to be popping around and hollering, and you're going to tear shit up. And I just, I, you know, I hope for the best. You know, I know a lot of the my, my restaurant guys and everybody that I know in the restaurant business, they really want it back down there after seeing the debacle of the way they kind of handled it, uh, mm. you know. And, look, you can't – in the, where they were trying to tell people to park at, I mean, I just – I felt sorry for some people that were coming in from out of town because they had no idea. They were like, well, what, they told us we could just park right down. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't want to go that neighborhood, and you don't want to go to this neighborhood because they'll tow your car, you know. So you're either going to get broke into if you go on, on the other side of Southern. They were telling them to park over by Messick High School. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, and I was like, look, man, I'm from the, you know, I came from two fingers round, three fingers down. I grew up in Orange Mound. And, uh, I love, love me some Orange Mound, but I'm not leaving a brand new car parked in them. I know, it, I know people that have brand new cars in Orange Mound. They don't leave them parked out on the street. You know, you just don't do that. And then, and if you park over in the Cooper Young area, uh, and you park four inches too wrong, They're gonna- uh, you're going to get towed. So one way or the other, you're getting jacked. Yeah, well, one way, one way yeah. or the other. So, yeah, they need to. They, the downtown is definitely what they need to do. Uh, but maybe I don't know. Maybe utilize Mud Island a little bit more because since we're not doing anything over there, maybe spread it out to where it's not so many stages in one area. Uh, because they're making the park smaller. Yeah, I mean it's definitely smaller. Yeah, so. You're going to try to get the same amount of people. You know, that square peg, round hole kind of scenario comes in, you know. Now, I'm wondering if they're going to stagger the times the bands play a little bit. That way, like, you know how they open door, I mean, open the gates at whatever, 5 o'clock, 5.30 on Friday, you know. And then they put people in and then, and then maybe instead of ending at 12 or whenever the last band ends at like 12, 15 yeah. or something like that, maybe it's going to end at one or two that way you know if you're going to go see a particular band you might only get there at nine on friday instead of you know saying yeah like maybe that they do the times different or something yeah i think they're going to have to uh, to to bring it the other way i think they should start it earlier i know on that friday they don't want to because people aren't off work Mm -hmm. and everything but man maybe put the old people's band off the guys that they like that own the businesses that can afford to take off work, get yeah. them the early band, let the old people get out there and get that out of the way and then bring in the younger crowd or whatever like that. But, uh, they're going past, I, there used to be a curfew law on the live events down there. I'm not sure if they're still doing it. And, and it's kind of like with, uh, the entertainment district downtown. I'm sure with live with Memphis and May, there's a whole nother set of rules yeah. that they go by. There's all kinds of rules in the city on getting permits to do things. Unless you got something to do with St. Jude, <laughs> you know, there's a whole another set of rules, yeah. and, uh, and 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 not that I would ever say anything wrong about St. Jude. No. Love the place, but they're powerful, very powerful people. Yeah. yeah, but like I'm thinking, like you're probably right. If they would just start it like at one o'clock, like they start on Saturday right. or twelve, whatever it is on Saturday, it would work because people go out of town for festivals that are on uh, that start on Friday, right. right? So why would they not three o'clock time? Yeah. Just three o'clock, that two hours of time. So now you, if you end a band at 12, 12, 15, you've got that park out or just about emptied by one. All right. So, and then that's their whole objective because then they got to get in there and clean and reset yeah. for the next day. 
and and that's a whole job in itself. If you, if you ever, uh, when I, I've when when you live down on the bluff, you get to see some things. And seeing those guys, that, they're like a swarm of people come in. The place is like a madhouse, like yeah. a bachelor's pad that uh, that he's been on a five day drunk, and then all of a sudden, poof! It's like mom's been there, and the whole place is spick and span again. You know, it's I'm almost as good as watching them change the courts out. At the forum, have you ever seen? I've that? seen a time lapse video of that, and it's badass. Man, when you say I've sat in there and watched it, uh, when Calipari was here, we fed uh, Calipari. We fed the team every game. Blue City, right? Yeah, yeah. So every game, I was taking food into the locker room. So being a Tigers fan, I mean, I took less money for that gig. It was like they were they they pretty much they gave me the gig, but they made me ask for it. But uh uh, yeah, I take it, take the Tigers food in every game. I mean, I'm telling, I've had to tell Allen Iverson, look, man, you got to let them eat first. Or, you know, all these different, you know, World Wide West, which is, was back in there and there. Now he's the president of the New York Knicks. That's Michael Jordan's best friend. Wow. But he was the reason we got a lot of the players that Cal Perry had back there. They, the only reason we got Derrick Rose. Was because of him? Yeah, World Wide West. Look him up, World Wide West. He was always in the Peabody lobby, and he was a great guy to know because he would literally uh, go, uh, if you didn't like your shoes, the next day you would have some Jordans. Uh, I mean, the next day he would ask you your size, and you would just go get your, you know, he'd have your shoes. You know, I mean, he would make sure you look good if you're going to sit next to him. So, good guy to know. I just hope they don't cut the amount of bands. You know, because like the different, seeing all the not, but if you have like seven bands on the main, like say, but why is age or whatever, mm-hmm. or ten bands for the day? Like I don't want it just to be five, and then you know, like what I'm saying, I want it to stay the same size of bands. Well, yeah, and they, I think, and it, probably because of COVID, they haven't had the selection that they mm-hmm. would have wanted because every everybody, I'm sure the scheduling and all that's just been. And now that things are kind of back in order, I, hopefully we can get some really good artists in. Cause I think that is, even if they, I would rather have a couple of extra better ba- or better quality bands than if they had to take away a band. If they had to, if they had to thin it out a little bit, give us better, you know, better selections and I'd be cool with that. But if you come back with the same old, uh, the local guys that we can go see, which we all love and everything, but I, I want to see somebody I can't normally see. Yeah, you know, I, you know, that's the whole point. So you're going to see what the price of the tickets now? Yeah, they keep going up and up and up. Uh, yeah, and 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 you know what? The, the they're building their offices at Memphis in May. It is getting a lot nicer, so they're spending the money somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know, it like you just said, I would rather have more B bands. Then and then you cut the C and D bands out, right. you know, yeah. and then, because you know you're only going to have a few A bands, you know, like right. whoever's touring. You can right? only afford, yeah, yeah. And with this, you know, and and, and, and for, man, it is expensive for those A bands. Oh, oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, look, I haven't been back down since uh, what was it, Dave Matthews years ago. That's a long time ago. Yeah, we went, we'd just gotten off work and we walked down there and we'd worked the whole shift, you know, Memphis and May shift. He walked down, and then right when you get up to the crowd, the heat hits you from the crowd, all, all the people. And we all looked at each other and went, eh. <laughs> And, you know, we had tickets to go. We could have gone right up on the side of the stage, but it, by that time after, you know, it's kind of like people want to go down for the barbecue and stuff. It's hard for me to do that anymore. So many years of doing it. Yeah. You know, it's just and, – and I saw the barbecue contest go from like a really fun event to now it's corporate, corporate 
you know, and so much. And the, it, it's just not the same, you know. And I started going to the music fest at the fairgrounds. That's so it was originally at the fairgrounds. It was originally at the I fairgrounds. I didn't know that. Uh, and then it went. Then it, yeah, that was a big deal. They didn't think it would work downtown. Do your friends that live on the bluff right now? Do they want it back down there? Uh, I would say it's a mixed bag. If you're under fifty, yeah. If you're over fifty, not so much. You know, because of the traffic, and it's not so much the Memphis and May. A lot of the people I know that have lived down there for years are moving because there's speed bumps every 500 feet. That's so annoying. Uh, I've got a friend of mine that just had a kid. They bought a uh, a, a, a $600-something-thousand-dollar home. Wow. And they can't – their kid can't sleep at night because – on Fridays and Saturdays because they're doing donuts. At the uh, gas station. uh, Somewhere right around there, and he's got pictures and all – and they'll just, you know, and they're, you know, raising all kinds of help. Now, I've done stupid stuff when I was a kid. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm some kind of innocent. But now I never stopped in the middle of the damn interstate and stopped traffic uh, and, you know, or done no stuff like that. I saw that video where they took the interstate over. Yeah. Like the people took the interstate over and they started doing donuts in the middle of the yeah. fucking interstate. And then the next car went. Like they shut down the traffic for like 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> and they did it safely. They did a rolling stop. Yeah. It's all from the freaking Fast and Furious. You see, they all want to be, uh, uh, you know, Fast and Furious. They wanted to do the, the street racing and they all think that they can do. But it don't always work out like it does on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the movies, it just doesn't work out that way. And there's been a lot of occasions where, I mean, you, but you got to know how you, how to drive to go that fast. And a lot of these people, these kids, they, they just getting in cars and now, and these cars nowadays, they, they, were, they were fast when I was young, but I actually grew up in an area of the gas, you know, where they, they, the government regulated horsepower. You couldn't have more than like 260 horsepower in a truck. For a long time during the gas, you know, embargo and all that, uh, that with all the smog and all this, now these cars are pumping 600, 700 horsepower from the factory, you know, and, and the bikes too. The, they, some of these guys on the bikes, man, I mean, there was some fast bikes back in the day. I mean, you know, Suzuki 1100 was still, you know, with, I mean, fast bikes, but these bikes now, these 700s are going faster than what, you know, the big bikes used to. Well, it's also like uh, sometimes on, on downtown, um, the kids are coming out with like the little quads and stuff, like the ATVs and stuff. Oh, Have you seen that? Like, I haven't seen and they're that running one. up and down River. Well, which is when Riverside was open, but like, uh, you know where that gas station is, right yeah, there by yeah. Laughlin Yard and stuff. Yeah, they're they're up there, just like doing like Cirque donuts and having fun in their four wheelers and stuff. And then you know the people that live down there, like, where are the cops? Where are the cops? Well, the cops can't get to them because Riverside's closed. So by the time the cops are coming. Down yeah. left road by Laughlin, Carolina, they're hitting the interstate. They're gone. You know, like you can't, you can't catch them. Yeah, and I mean, it, it does suck for everybody in that, and it's not a win. I mean, I'm sure the kids are probably having a good time. Yeah. But, you know, eventually something will happen on their ends that they'll they'll see it. Or what? What I hope happens that all of them have five kids, and they all <laughs> do very successful, and they buy a beautiful home down on the bluff, and it happens to them. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, that's the only way you can teach it. I, you know, I, you can say all you want to until you experience something like that in your own life. You're not going to, you know, I, I didn't appreciate shit until I, you know, till something was taken from me. Then you start appreciating it, you mm-hmm. know. That's yeah. true. So what is the history of Memphis strip clubs, in your opinion? 
Uh, well, in the, back in the days, it was the straight go-go's. Uh, just like every other city down at Poplar and uh, McLean area, uh, all through there, there were go-go places all right there. And back when I was uh, really young, uh, certain times of the day, the girls would dance in the window in a bathing suit. Oh, really? You know, and so, yeah, because, you know, dad couldn't look over there <laughs> or whatever, or, you know, your dad would you drop your mom off at the at the, the doctor or something, and you'd have to stay with your dad in the car, and you'd be making that block. The same block. And I didn't realize why we were making that block because yeah. I just saw this goofy girl dancing in the in the you know window. I didn't, you know, didn't think nothing about it. But uh I started the first job I ever worked in a club like that was uh, Art Baldwin, which was the guy that started Danny off. This was before Danny. Uh had some places and I, I went to interview <laughs> and uh he, I wanted to, the, the higher paid job took the cover at the door and I was young and he didn't think my, I could keep my focus. And I was like, yes, sir, I can, I can keep my focus. And so when I went back to meet with him after lunch, he had a big fish tank, like that's, I would say five foot, you know, fish tank, big yeah. fish tank, empty. When I came back, there were two girls in the fish tank and I was, that was right behind his head. So I had to look at him and not at the girls. Mm. 17 years old. Didn't work out. Didn't get the <laughs> I didn't get the job. But uh, he thanked me and sent me on my way. I thank you for your time, young man. No, uh, no, 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 I didn't make it. Take the trash out. <laughs> <laughs> I can still remember. All I can remember is rocks sticking to. No, oh, never mind. <laughs> so was Danny's before Platinum? Oh, Yes. Yes, Danny, you know, uh, uh, Danny went to, uh, got, uh, indicted, uh, and everything and went to, uh, went to jail about two years, I would think, somewhere in that time range before Platinum opened up. Okay. So, but Danny was kind of the big wig. And then you had, uh, Steve and, and Ralph. Mm. And Ralph was always the educated, really smart guy, uh, that was stayed quiet. Just a really nice guy. You meet Ralph. You'd think he owned an insurance company or something. You're just a nice, nice guy. And Danny was always extremely nice to me. Uh, a great guy to me. But now if you crossed him, Danny was very well known to, to, to he put that foot up your ass and mm. put it that way. You know, you didn't mess up in his clubs. And like I said, he had more of the biker style clubs. Uh, it would not be uncommon to see. 12 or 15 bikes in front of his place where Steve's or Ralph place, you really wouldn't see that. And if you saw that many bikes, they were really nice, like luxury cross country, you know, or not, not a bike with a tool belt on the back. Cause it's going to break probably in six or 10 miles down the road. Uh, you know, that's what they said. Harley, if you don't have a, 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 a toolbox on your Harley, then you ain't driving a Harley. Cause it's, you gotta <laughs> pick up all the parts as it falls off, you know? So. But yeah, now that would, uh, uh, it was right there on the airways, right off Winchester. It mm-hmm. was a whole little shopping center. So you had, uh, three, uh, adult clubs and two stopping squirts. And are you familiar with the stopping squirts? Mm-mm. 
uh, the adult book clubs or the little adult magazine places. Oh, okay. They always have the little uh, preview booths yeah. in the back. Yeah, okay, yeah, We yeah. used to call those stopping spots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was probably what you were talking about, but I wasn't sure. So that's why I had to shut the fuck up. I didn't say anything. I was like, uh. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, they had a couple stopping squirts there. You had, you know, you like even at White Station in, uh, in uh, summer there, mm-hmm. at Steve's place there, uh, he used to have the club and then a stopping squirt right mm-hmm. on the end. Yeah. Because uh, when the girls would get pregnant, they could go to work at the stop and squirt <laughs> until their term was up and then they got that's the way, one of the one of the reasons that's they where did that. that's where i bought a i bought three uh dildo no three vibrator dildo things for the girls i worked with at highland q and because i asked them like what do you want they want they was something called it was called the rabbit oh and the rabbit so i went the, the so rabbit. my friend lt was like hey i can i know the people that own this store over here by the gold club come on and that's where I bought them from. And the guy gave me a discount. I was like, he's like, let me know how the girls enjoy it. I'm like, yes, sir. I will. <laughs> Can you fill out the survey on the back of the box? Yeah, exactly. But I remember that because that's before they did all that renovations to the gold club. Right. Remember how tiny gold club was before? Right. Changed the door where you go in <laughs> yeah. and everything. They changed the old. Look, Steve has always been on the front end of like uh, modernizing his club. Like where Ralph will take it until it needs it. You know, when it needs it, it'll get done. Uh, Steve was always, you know, he was, if he saw something, he's a world traveler. So if he would go somewhere and he'd see something, he'd be like, hmm. And then the next thing you know, a version of it's in his club. You yeah. Know? So how did platinum become what platinum was? Uh, platinum became how it was, by the way, uh, Ralph's, uh, the way the ownership's philosophy was. They let the girls enjoy themselves. They gave him rules. And uh, it was a clean. I mean, he was very much into cleaning. And at the when we first opened it up, we had a kitchen. The first uh, Ernest that was in there, the first uh, chef was in there was actually a chef at the White House. Oh wow, really? Uh, Ernest, uh, I'll never forget. Uh, he got in that club, was doing good, but about a year into it, you met him a little. Uh, well, <laughs> Ernest didn't work out there, but anyway. Uh, but when there was someone, we had a kitchen there for a while. We used to do a lunch buffet, you really? know, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was the place to be. And then when brother industries come into town mm-hmm. out there in Bartlett, uh, the, uh, they're, I believe they're Japanese or, and I believe it's Japanese, but they love them some platinum and they loved them and they would go in there and spend the money. And then when certain dancers would come in, uh, Wilson Airfield would know. Because there would be flights coming in to see these particular dancers when featured dancers when they would come to Platinum. Because when they came to Platinum, they had more fun. Mm. Uh, so you would see Lori Wagner or some dancer like that that toured back in the day. So you'd see her at a couple, you'd see her in Vegas and she'd do a good act and everything. You'd see her in Memphis, total different act. There's, there's probably rabbits involved mm-hmm. and, could be cigars. You just yeah, never know. It, was, you know. it was wild, man. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I've literally seen somebody spit quarters into a platoon, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, some talent there, you know, uh, uh, seen a girl pick, uh, two Coronas up off the floor, uh, with no hands, kill them, set them back down on the floor and barely have a drop come out. Really? And then look you right now and go, can you tip me now? And you might, you just send the guys are just, they just had their money in their hand and they just hand it to her. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, so there used to be some good, and I got to take pictures a lot. I used to take pictures when we had the feature act on a couple of the uh, people. 
uh, and that was really fun, you know, because, uh, you, you know, the guy would sit down, the girl plops a, uh, you know, on each side of his head, and then you take a picture, and they give you $10. And you got $5, and then the, other, the person got $5. So you know, you'd sit there and make 150 bucks, you know, a couple hours, and it's a hilarious. Mm. And, and you some of the most, the funniest conversations you're ever going to hear between friends is right about the time that picture is going to be taken. Like, <laughs> you know, so yeah. Also, like it became really popular, not just because it was, you know, the wild, wild west pretty much, but like, <clears throat> that's where everyone came. When you, when you left the bar, wherever yeah, part of the city, hours. yeah, whatever part of the city you were in, you were going to platinum. It's not just to look at titties, you know, that, that oh, they, yeah. they were there. It was like a, it was the club after the club. Yeah, it was, right. It was Far more yeah. than a titty bar. That's the reason I call it adult entertainment mm-hmm. because it was there were there were titty bars in Memphis, yes, but adult entertainment. Uh, you would go there at four o'clock, four thirty in the morning. They'd be playing not the kind of music you would think uh, that would be played at. A, not a, a, I mean, they play that type of music too, but there would be sometimes heavy metal type. If the crowd was in there, the mm. DJ played for the crowd, and uh, the drinks. You know, that never hurt, uh, you know, because the cops are all trying to date the girls anyway. So they're all to the side. Their cars are parked around back or over at Piccadilly. Yeah. Or, you know, it's pretty bad when you you, know, you have to call a cop going, dude, man, you left your radio. Yeah. <laughs> Come back and get your radio, man. And you he's remember? like, you didn't queue it up, did you? <laughs> no, no. You remember when Vice used to come in there? <laughs> so there was, now Vice would come in there and patrol and make sure the girls weren't doing anything wrong and but then, as soon as they got off their shift, they would come and right party. Back. They came and partied. It was completely different. It, what's What's really funny is when they would come in and the bartender knew what they had to drink. Yeah, you know, like they didn't even ask for. It was almost like uh, going into Platinum. The the coolest I've ever seen anybody enter Platinum was J W Witten, Jerry Lee Lewis's manager. Uh, uh, J W would walk in and it was just like on Cheers. The DJ would cut the music down. It was like, hey, JW. And then all the girls like, oh, JW's here, you know, and they all, and it's like, and if you're sitting next to him, you're like, the, f- you know, uh, <laughs> but he's sitting there in his members only jacket and, <laughs> and, and they're coming from everywhere. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, he was, he was probably that and Kid Rock. We took Kid Rock in there one night and that was pretty, that was pretty fun. Now I thought it was really cool. It's not cool as Kid Rock, but I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty celebrity, but not on the level Kid Rock is. Uh, I'm at the Plush Club was 93x, mm-hmm. and I'm with Twitch and them, John, okay. right? Yeah. And they're like, "Hey, call your people at Platinum. Well, we let's take Beetlejuice Platinum." I was like, "Are you sure?" Yeah, they're like, "Yeah, call call your people." I'm like, "All right." So we end up going to Platinum with Beetlejuice. And we're up there hanging out, having fun. We walk in, you know, Jacob, Jacob's DJing. He's okay. a DJ that night. And um, he kind of does the same thing with, J, with JW, you know, mm-hmm. like he introduces Beetlejuice and stuff. And um, uh, next thing you know, Beetlejuice has done one up like a, I forget how much the tab was. It was like three grand or something like in the, in, <laughs> in the VIP. It was a lot. And, you know, and they're like, so the a bouncer comes to Twitch. is like, hey, man, your, your guy is back there. He owns this much money. And she's like, I'm not paying it. I'm, I'm not back there. Like, why are you coming to me? And then I finally went to like, uh, his manager. So the two, the manager on duty and <laughs> Beetlejuice's manager, they worked a deal out. The girl was, I guess, I think she took half of whatever the bill was. Yeah. And like, you know, she was like, I guess I'll take that, you know, whatever. And that's what they paid him. Cause that, that's how much he got paid for working the, 
being yeah, a producer. He just, he just passed the money I, I, over. Yeah, he just went from him to her. You know, it was done. I've seen that happen a lot. I've seen and nothing like seeing somebody cash their check. You literally see them down the road yeah. cashing their check at, at the, the liquor, liquor store. store. Yeah. And then they come to Platinum, and at the end of the night, they're like, ain't got money for cab fare. Damn. You know, and, you know, it just, and, and I've seen him go, well, no, she's going to, she's going to give me a ride home. <laughs> she told me to wait over here. Yeah. And I was like, well, the door's over there. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, she's shit. leaving on down the road there. Yeah, you know? she's in the car calling. You see that guy with the white shirt walking her to the car? You ain't getting close to her, you know, so. Yeah, that was that was always a good job, too, walking the girls to the car. You always got money for oh, it. Oh, you got tipped each yeah, time, you know. You, six girls, 25 a girl. Plus, I remember, you know, yeah, I remember working the back lot. This is when I first started working there, right? I'm doing the backlog security by the Piccadilly and stuff, mm-hmm. right? I emptied those trash cans and shit. And, like, I get a call on the radio. Hey, Raul, come to the front. We need you to escort a girl to a car. I'm like, all right. Thinking I'm going to get, like, $5. She gave me, like, 40 bucks. She probably I'm, made. Uh, 2000 right. yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. But I'm like, oh, this is fucking awesome. This, it was, like, Tuesday night, you know, because I worked this, uh, the swing shift Tuesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, went, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday shift. Mm-hmm. And, like... I was like, this is a lot of fucking money. Like, Hell yeah. And then, you know, I walked out probably four or five girls because if the main guys were busy doing something else, right. then they had to call me up. And I was like, hell yeah. Man, you, I, I loved it. I would always make sure I got that spot whenever I could, you know. And then that was the only bad thing about getting into management. You got all of those little white sideways of making cash, you know. You lost all those things, you know. Yeah. And, you know, cause, I mean, we would walk people up the back steps at 152, you know, or just walk them in, you know, once you become the manager up there and everything, you can't, you know, well, they would always like slide your money, yeah. you know, and your handshake. They stop doing that when you, <laughs> it's like, they just shake your hand. Yeah. You're, like, you're like, I don't really hey, see hey, I don't like your music anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I remember when, when, uh, 152 was doing that at the alley, remember? Oh yeah. We just walked Justin Timberlake and yep. Drake and all, just all kinds of people up there, you know? Or get them up to the DJ booth on the third floor. Just get them to the DJ booth and get them a flying Ryan there. With, you yeah. Know, get them with Kelly's brother. He'll be okay in there. And uh, have you have you uh, talked to Kelly lately? I talked to him uh, a couple of weeks ago. Doing it, real good. Looks like he's doing yeah, good. Yeah, the roofing company yeah. is taking off, man. That's I'm happy for him. He's got Wheat and KG doing his like marketing for him and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're making videos and stuff for him. And it's it's going great. Yeah, he'll do fine. And look, in my size, I was big for my time. And then, and then you start knowing you're in a different era. Like when you see people the size of Kelly and they're normal. They're just normal. Because Kelly just normal old, you know, country boy. But yeah. Big old boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a big old boy, you know. And I've, I've been on the other side of him when we're grabbing somebody to remove him, and, and I was glad he was on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it was good times, man. I was talking to Kenny the other day. No, actually, I was talking to Kelly, not Kenny, my bad. But I did wish Kenny a happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday, Kenny. Um, but, like, I was asking him, I was like, so do you think you guys are ever going to run, run it back one more time? And he's like, man, I don't know, but you know, if somebody comes around and they want to pay us what we want, then sure, maybe, yeah, yeah. It's just I, I don't know if the laws and and the and the <laughs> oh, yeah. and the way the city is now, I just don't know if you could do that again because that club was uh, you had th- three floors, three different clubs in one building. Uh, it's hard enough to get 
one club in one building and, and just keep it functioning Busy, without, yeah. without, uh, well, with the, you know, the crap that's going on, you know, there's, there, it doesn't take but one shooting in your place and you're, you're ruined. It's over with you. are yeah. ruined or something traumatic like that happening. And the chances back in the day of that happening were very slim. You know, if you took the precautions, everything, but now you can take the precautions, do everything right. And, and, Look what happened to poor, my, you know, my, my, I, I love, uh, my cookie store over there on, uh, on, uh, on airways. Yeah. And I love my cookie store, mm-hmm. you know, can't go there no more. I like Dolph, you know, it's a shame that that had to happen. But I mean, there was a lot of victims in that, you know, from family wise to the person that actually died to the person that lost the business to the, you know, the people that worked there. That affected a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and some people, a lot of times people don't take that in effect. They see the, Yes, the person that, that, that in the tragedy, that's bad, and, and I'm sorry for their family, but there's always other underlying areas that affects a whole bunch of people. So when you do something stupid, you don't realize how many people you affect sometimes. I, I hope that's the reason, you know, that they're yeah, not taking it. What in. do you think needs to be done as far as our city to shift it in a better direction? Man, they're going to have to, to – uh, look, when I was coming up, we had summer camps. Uh, we had stuff to go do during the summer. Even if you were poor, mm-hmm. you had, uh, you could go like our schools had some kind of summer camp that had something athletic that you did. You kind of played, you had a meal, uh, and that was about it. But you were around people, adults, mm-hmm. you're around adults. So you had to have respect, uh, because they made you have respect. Well, they, a lot of these kids, they don't have respect for their parents at home and then they don't have any guidance during the summer. And by the time it, it comes around, who's giving them guidance is they're just saying somebody making money. Mm. And wherever that man that's making money, that's their guidance. Yeah. And we got to take that position out. Uh, cause until you get create jobs and, 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 and create stuff for them to do, you're going to make the push a man is always going to be the biggest man. Yeah. And yeah. Cause I like look at it like it seems like Memphis is making some strides where they want to bring cool shit here, but it's kind of hard when you have all the crime that's happening on top of it because it's going to be a kind of a deterrent for people who want to come here or live here even. And I, I think Memphis is a great, I'm not originally from here. I've been here since 91 I moved here when I was 12, but I think it's a great place, but I just think that more people should care about their city. And, and like you said, do something for the kids because it's just going to be a repetitive cycle of bullshit until somebody actually says, no, we don't want this anymore. When I was 12, we had the, one of the cleanest cities in America. Yeah. There were signs up. There's still some signs down on the river walk or, you know, on the walkway <laughs> that had Memphis beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. We used to take pride in that. I yeah. mean, you know, but now, man, I, I, I hate to, to say, and even out where I'm at in Tipton County, you'll, you'll, I mean, it's, it's not like Memphis is, is the soul. Everybody's getting a touch. And I love it when people live in these small towns or small areas and go, we don't have that here. Well, don't worry. It's coming. Mm. Uh, don't worry. Uh, and if, you know, and I just, I don't think people take pride in their, in their place unless it's right around them. They can see. And that, that's what I, the bad part of the internet, I think everything's got to be must see right there in front of you. Yeah. Because we're used to instant. I would have a question in school. I had to go to an encyclopedia mm-hmm. and go home and look it up and then figure out if that was the tro- proper definition for the context of the question. Now you punch in how to remove a human heart mm. and it tells you how to, you know, it just, yeah. and maybe that's a little laziness. I, and like I said, I don't want to be the guy that's hollering, get off my lawn. <laughs> 
Uh, but I'm, I'm starting to turn in to the guy that's hollering, get off my <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think it's sad because, like I said, there's a lot of potential here. And there's a lot of good history, like what you were telling the stories tonight or today. But it's just like, you know, there is good. There's, there's definitely good. Because I saw a story. I talked about it yesterday. But this lady came here for St. Jude because her kid has cancer. And they were going to do a Thanksgiving dinner at the Peabody. And the kid ended up being sick. And so they called the Peabody and they're like, hey, um, we're not going to be able to do it. And the Peabody is, okay, that's fine. And they sent them a meal anyway. It's like a real care package. And the lady made a video about it saying how great her experience was in Memphis. So there is definitely people here that are doing a lot of good. And I think more of that needs to be highlighted. But also we need to quell the bullshit that's happening too. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Uh, expect people to go out and feel safe in, in late at night. Well, you can't have businesses that are open late at night if they have to fear uh, for their employees and for their own uh, their items in their store and all this stuff. Can't have that. But you got to have something for some of these kids to do when they're younger to to start them in the right maybe in the right path. But then again, I may be totally wrong. Who knows? Uh, you may look. We may look back at this ten years from now and some. Guy that writes fancy books is going to tell us we were all wrong and we should have done this. So, yeah, you know, who knows how that goes? But I do believe uh, my city, Memphis, <clears throat> is definitely a good city. It has a good heart and it wants to be good. I truly think it wants to do good. It's just it's hard sometimes. But there again, every city like it, that little old pretty city up on the hill, uh, you know, a couple hours from us up there in Nashville, they're growing leaps and bounds and they're building, they're doing a lot of stuff, but. Start listening to their news. Mm-hmm. It's getting, yeah. It's yeah. starting to sound a little bit like uh, what we're getting here. And it ain't going to change. It ain't going to get better because they're bringing more people there. Yeah. So don't worry if you don't like crime and don't and you think you're in a place that it's not, it's coming to a city near you. Yeah, like I always tell people, like, they're like, I'm going to move to this neighborhood. But I'm like, crime travels, man. People have That's vehicles. Why, why do you think that people go? They don't want to steal from a bad neighborhood. They go to a good neighborhood to steal something. So the better you make yourself... The better you do in life, the more options you have for somebody to take. Yeah. You know, and that's just, that's just the way it is. But you can do what you want. You can't live in fear either. So I'm not going to live in fear. And uh, I'm a true believer that uh, if you do right and you kind of live right, uh, then it's going to come to you right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I did wrong for a long time and I got a lot of wrong came my way. (laughs) And it sure seems like these last 10 or so years, I've tried to do things a little bit better. Sure seems life seems to be a little. It's kind of like they say, you know, everybody wants to go over if the grass is greener over yeah. there. Well, if you water your own damn grass, it can be green, too. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I saw something. I think it was on Unapologetically Memphis yesterday where they were talking about how, like, a lot of these kids are using stolen cars or stolen tags or they're just printing out fucking tags and yeah. do a bunch of shit. So there's no way of really tracking who's doing the stuff because it's not even their vehicle. Yeah, and we're handicapping the police. Yeah, I mean they 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 don't they their hands are tied on a lot of these situations. So, you know, there's never going to be a perfect situation. But then again, if we were all perfect, we would be pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, I just think that, like you said, I think people need to have other options instead of seeing like the dope boy as like yeah. the guy that they want to be like. But I mean, on my street, I remember guys that, you know, I thought it was really cool when they got a new truck. Well, it was because they worked 30 years in International Harvester. Mm. You know, that man worked and look what he got. Well, I want some of that. You know, if I got a job there, then I could work up into because I'm smarter than him. I'll move up faster. I mean, that's just the way you think as a kid, or at least I hope every kid thinks that way. I'm smarter than them. 
you know, and uh, so I'll do it better. Uh, but now, yeah, and, you know, look what happened to Fraser when International Harvester left. You know, Fraser used to be a beautiful area of Memphis. Oh, it really was. It? Beautiful. And uh, even after International Harvester left, Ford came in. They tried. But that, it, it employed several thousand people. They all lived around it. Mm. And then it just went away. And then the neighborhood just went down and down. And then it, it is Fraser is. And I hope they're they're trying. There's pockets of it that are trying to make a comeback. I mean, just like Bing Hampton over here yeah. is trying. I mean, and that's the reason I, the, the, there are pockets in this city that are just still strong and want to do good. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, we only hear about the other side. Yeah. You know, no. Yeah. The, the good side is not going to make uh, the, the evening news. Exactly. Yeah. I think there needs to be. I think those kids are just looking for love. Yeah. Like, and they just need to have somebody that is doing something positive instead of something negative that's showing them that attention that's lacking at home. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you're going to, if you see success, you're around success. It breeds success. Yeah. And you, uh, I never thought I could be in, in, in any type businesses or, or doing anything like that. But when I got around people that I thought were like me mm-hmm. and they were doing it and I saw how they did it and, and all I had to do is do the same thing like they were doing. And, and bam, next thing you know, you know, you, you went from a doorman to a manager to you're, you're making, Pretty decent money, you yeah. know, uh, for doing that, you know, and it, and we were one of the few places that had like insurance and four hundred one for mm. a while. I mean, you just didn't hear for that. I mean, there are places now, yeah, but back then you didn't. That was unheard of, you know. So, uh, yes, and even uh, at Platinum, you could tote a note on them. Really, you could uh, uh, at uh, yes, you could you could get. Uh, Corrections or uh, augmentations done to your body if you are a long-term employee and you could have it, you could make payments. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a asset to the company, <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah. Well, you know, before Budweiser, well, before the hands bought Budweiser in town, mm-hmm. it was the Canale. You know, right. everyone oh, yeah. was Canale. They're telling me, I heard the story, yes, a couple couple days ago, actually. I think it was on Friday or Thursday, that you could go to Mr. Canale in his office, but hey, Miss Callie, I'm going to kind of short on my rent or whatever it is. He'll cut you a check right then and there, give it to you, tell you to go cash it, and you could pay him back whenever you had the money. Yeah, well, Bud did yeah. stuff like that. Bud did, I mean, you know, and I'm sure Wilbur has in his time mm-hmm. too, but I mean, I, I've seen Bud do that where, I mean, he knows he's going to get his money back and he'd rather have you as an employee. Actually, I think that's a smart move, you know, because you're keeping an employee happy, safe, yeah, and you know he's showing up for work, uh, you know, and it built loyalty up in me. I was working for Bud for a short while at, at Shooters uh, as a part-time job. Had a full-time job. Had a daughter. Uh, had some problems at birth. She had a, macomb- a macomium ap- aspiration. Had to take her to Arkansas Children's Hospital. So I'd worked there eight weeks, ten weeks. Uh, when I got back, I, I really didn't think I was going to have a job, and I sure as hell didn't think I'd have a check. Man paid me the whole time I was gone. Damn. Wow, that's impressive. Brings, that brings in loyalty. Yeah, you know, it brings in now. You put your hands on him; it's like putting your hands on my family. Mm. You know. Yeah, it sounds like you really believe in the some of the five people you hang out with. Well, I mean, uh, I've made a living, uh, and uh, uh, off some good people yeah. that, that provided a service, uh, and that's all we did. We we weren't we weren't trying to rip anybody off, and it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to see generations of people, uh, you know, see mamas come in and then mamas have babies 
And then babies come in, yeah. but mamas. And the next thing you know, mama and, and baby and grandmama out there dancing on the dance floor, or one of your, you know, at a, at a, you know, jamming the KC or something like that, you know. And, yeah. But that's kind of cool. I mean, I've fed generations, you know, and that's kind of you know, you, you know, I see a kid when he's born in diapers, and then you see him going to college. Mm. I mean, it's kind of cool. Yeah, that is awesome, right there. So, what's your uh, future plans? My future plans are to uh, make sure my youngest daughter uh, gets the opportunities that that she's going to pound her way down and all of her friends. I really, really hope that a lot more of a gender equality comes in as far as for females in the workplace. But I'm sure my daughter and her generation is going to be the type that's going to demand it. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to be around it long enough to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like we need to realize that we need each other. There doesn't just need to be one person in power. It just we work better together than separate. Oh yeah, yeah. A team as always. Yeah, yeah. you know, and that's one thing that the, the guys that I work for were very good at. They built a team. You look at Blue City now. There are still people that work in there. I've been away from there a, almost a decade. I've been away from there a decade now. There are still people working down there that worked there when I was there. Oh wow. You know, and I've seen kids of their people that have worked, you know, down there. So they're they're providing a great service, you know, they're, you know, good food, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a good job. And I mean, it's it's a great thing. And and, and that's what with this city, they need to highlight more of the local people that have done it. You look at, you know, Georgia, the guys down at Arcade. You, I mean, there's. So there's stories all through this city, Mortimer's out east, uh, mm-hmm. just all over. There's some great stories uh, in this city, but unfortunately, we only hear the negative side of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's some bad-to-the-bone people still kicking butt here and still doing it the right way. I like to hear that. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but so what do you think like your mark you want to leave on the world is and what's your advice for people? Well, uh, the mark I want to leave on the world, I guess I would say, <clears throat> is um, my, my daughters. Mm. You know, I was a terrible dad on the front end my, to my younger daughters, and now I'm trying to make up on it on the back end the best I can. But my daughters have all been successful without me. Yeah. You know, they're strong, strong women. So that's uh, that's a good thing on that side. And what was the other? Uh, uh, what's your advice for people? Uh don't sweat the small stuff. Let it go. If you get cut off on in traffic, it ain't that big of a deal. If your girl leaves you, you know what? There's another one. Mm. If your boy leaves you, your guy leaves you, there's another one that'll be happy to come in there and take his place. Just you don't sweat the small stuff because all you've got in this world, really, it comes down to is your direct family and your direct friends. And if you got a good group of those you don't need nothing else, man. You don't need money. You don't need anything else. That'll get you through. Now, as far as like the fatherhood thing, do you think you are trying to be a better dad now because of age and more maturity? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not into myself. Yeah. Uh, it, it, when I was young, I was selfish and I was, uh, 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 uh you know, in that sense, if, uh, if one of my exes called me a jerk, she'd have every right to, mm. you know, uh, but now if you called me that now, I would, I might disagree, but I'm still not going to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, you learn with, with age and, and, and you, and you learn by missing out. 
Mm. So I missed out on a lot of stuff. And I didn't know I missed out until I got older. Yeah. You know, and then it's too late. So all you can do is try to, and you can't harp on that either. I can't sit there. I can't change any of that. Mm-hmm. Nothing I can do is going to change it. But I can try to do the best or try to be there, or try to give advice or try to do whatever I can and stand by and let my daughter, you know, grow up and be a great young woman that I know she's going to be. But I'm not going to be. I, I haven't deserved that right to be the dad that's telling you every single thing. Her mother does a great job. Uh, but I do want to be the person that helps hopefully guide or sculpt what she becomes. Cause uh, she will, you know, her age group, the girls that I see her running around with, they're really cool and they're really, really smart. So, uh, when people say that the newer generation, you know, that oh, we're all going to hell cause newer yeah. generation, uh, They've been saying that for about 200 years. <laughs> so we're still pumping along there. So, yeah, I think that's the thing, though, like, with, especially as a man, it sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to mature than others. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like I said, especially if you um, have kids, I would imagine, like, it's hard to just be like, okay, I got to be an adult now because I have a, a little human. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just trying to fuck probably. And then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what it breaks down <clears> to. <throat> and then I, I was, you know, you all think you're, you think you're cooler than you are, mm. you know, and then when you have people telling you you're cool. Yeah. Oh, well, then, then you're twice as cool. Uh-huh. So, and then, you know, so then you believe the hype. Uh. You get high on your own goods, all bad stuff. <laughs> all bad stuff. You don't yeah. do these things. And it, when you get older, you realize it. So, yeah. but unfortunately, you got to have the memories of not having the memories. Yeah. You know, what's, uh, what's your definition of happiness, man? Uh, my definition of happiness would be not wanting. Uh, I don't want for very much anymore and I don't need very much anymore, but happiness to me is, is when I'm sitting out there at mullet manor and I'm just sitting in the backyard, sitting on the tra- cutting grass, I feel happy to cut my grass cause it's my grass. My tractor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, coming from where I came from over in Orange Mound or on the edge of Orange Mound there in Sherwood Forest. Uh, wasn't no riding lawnmowers in those little bit of yards. <laughs> you yeah. know, there wasn't none of that stuff. Uh, when people had a lake, they had to drive an hour, you know, and now at my age, I'm able to uh, still enjoy a lake, uh, my own property, uh, my kids. Uh, you know, it, it's it's and, and it's going to get better. It's not going to get worse for me. It's going to get better. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see what the future entails. So what do you think happens when we die? And what mark do you see? I'm not, I'm sorry, not Mark. Um, who would you like to give flowers to, like appreciation to? Because there's this whole thing where they talk about how, like, we don't say enough nice stuff about people while they're around. And then, like, when they're dead, like, go to their funeral or whatever, people say something. Or sometimes at their wedding or their birthday. Like who in your life or just that crossed your path? Who would you like to give appreciation to? Um, you know, my mom was the only hell, you know, I'm the only hell my mom ever raised. And that's his truest statement, you know, but besides her, you know, uh, there was a couple of teachers, you know, that really helped me mm. uh, when I was young that really, you know, changed me, you know, now being the age I am, I didn't realize they did it, but I do now. And, and and some influences in my life. I mean, even, uh, you, you know, uh, I miss uh, talking to Bud all the time, mm. you know, because we would go back and forth. And, and I, we would go a couple years without speaking. 
And then, uh, you know, he's probably fired me six times, <laughs> you know, but he hired me five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, there's some people like that. Wilbur has been a big influence. You know, he, he taught me a lot about business when I was growing, you know, at a younger age. Taught me when to shut up a lot of times, too. Uh, you know, and, and so there's a lot of, a lot of influences. And my brother being a solid, actual, solid, good dad and doing it the right way. You know, uh, that's a, that's something I've always looked up to, you know, so there, you know, I, I I've been lucky enough that I couldn't pinpoint that, mm. pinpoint that to one, but I, I've been lucky enough to have some good influences. Well, I think that's a good thing because a lot of people probably don't have one person that they can mention. Uh, well, you know, and, and that, that may be true that I'm sure it is, but, uh, you know, I can't, that's something I can't comment on because I, the good Lord blessed me in that sense. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, uh, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry if that, you know, yeah. I, I'm very appreciative of the fact that I got that. And every day, uh, I, I try to make sure now I try to make sure that I pay something back. So, and I do a lot of, of stuff with, uh, uh, some friends uh, uh, with mental health, mm. and uh, and and that's a real subject that I, I think people are scared to talk about. Uh, they're scared to to mention it, and everybody wants to sweep it under the rug until something happens, and then they want to go, "Well, why didn't somebody else do this?" Yeah, mm-hmm. and it starts with each one of us. But it, I mean, just by contacting some friends and that you know are down and out, or just bullshitting with them, and are taking the time to answer the phone. Uh, that that does wonders to people you don't think and you don't think that you're that important to some people but you are so maybe take a second or two to return the favor and let them feel like they're important yeah because i think a lot of men especially consider it weak to talk about their feelings or talk about what they're going through there's this whole thing one time i saw online it's like they ask any man how he's doing he says he's okay but he's not okay well, yeah, that's a code word for I don't want to talk about. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder sometimes if people may be dealing with something and they don't realize they're dealing with it because it's just that's just the thing that we know is just mask it. Hiding it. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wants to hide it or sweep it under the rug. And but that's how things get boiled to a point to where you have a boiling over point. Yeah. And uh and if you you've got to and I think when you see something, you know, they say when you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. You know, what well, it works out also that way in mental health. If you see somebody stressing or you see a change, it doesn't hurt just to drop a seed. Yeah. You know, give me a holler if you need to. Or hell, I'm, I'm always, I, I, my reference or what I, my go to is I'm never doing anything anyway. So hell, give me a call. Mm. You know, and maybe they'll just, well, he ain't doing nothing. I'll, and if they give me that second to get on the phone with them, and I can tell that something's wrong. I can generally get it out of them. I'm pretty yeah. good at that. And I'll generally try to uh, either talk with them or, you know, find out maybe another family member or somebody that might let them know. But I've, I was able to do that within the last year and uh, felt very, very glad because I didn't realize how bad this guy was going through. Had no idea that he was going through drug withdrawal. Mm. Had no idea. He'd been off heroin for almost five weeks. And everything was around him, wanting him to go back. And this is somebody off Twitter. He messaged me. And I sit there and talked with him a little while. Well, five or three or four months later, I get a message back. And he was like, man, you don't know how close I was to going back out. And now I'm helping somebody come off, mm, you know, and that's kind of cool, you know. 
kind of cool because I've, I've you know I've never had I've never had a problem like that, but I've had problems that I needed to get you know help from and and was lucky enough to get help and 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 I'm I'm fine you know in my life. Uh, but everybody needs some help. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Everybody. And uh, the other question I had is, where do you think? What do you think happens when we die? Uh, I, my uh, my personal opinion is, I believe we become a spiritual being, and that we we uh, go to heaven and and we're uh, or I can I my little joke on it is the neighborhood depends on how good we were. Mm. And you say, y'all got pearly streets, but maybe you might have a two-bedroom pearly house. <laughs> and and the person that used to be in the poor neighborhood now lives in the big house, yeah. you, know, you know. But, yeah, that's just my little take of it. I'm a, I'm a firm believer. Uh, so, uh, And I've, I, I don't mind talking about it to other people that aren't. Yeah. You know, I have no problem because it's just – I have no problem talking with anybody about anything because uh, if you're – if your views are different than mine and you can't talk with me, then you were too stupid for me to talk to in the first place. Mm-hmm. But if you are and we can talk, then I, I love a good argument. I mean, I'm good, uh, respectful. Yeah. You know, I, and I mean, I've loved, there's not more than going, being mad enough and going, let me shake your hand, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'll talk to you later. My job. Damn it, you Boom. Know. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> so where can everybody find your podcast? Uh, you can go to the WWE podcast and uh, uh, just pull it up that way. And uh, I am uh, Memphis Mark, and it is the NXT review every Tuesday. So, in other words, every Wednesday night. Cause, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got one question. Do guys get mad at you for giving a bad review about their match? Or, had- or ladies? I've had a couple of of what the hell do I knows <laughs> and and some things like that. Yeah, I've gotten a couple of little responses back, but uh I, I like I explained, I can't do what they're doing. Yeah. Now, but I can't play football either, but they sure pay a lot of people money to talk about football that never played football. That is true. It's baseball, basketball, all I'm doing is what I was asked to do. And what I see that you might have been a little slow getting up to that top rope. I think it would look better if you jumped up there. Same result, you're going to get whatever's going to happen. But it looks better to me. The yeah. old school jumped up on the top rope. Now, uh, 23-year-old guy takes him seven <laughs> minutes to climb to the top of the turnbuckle. What the hell? Yeah. Do you think it's because they are they know it's true and they just don't want to hear it? Uh, well, I think it's natural reaction when somebody says something about you to be defensive. Mm. And in their business, they're cocky, and that's their job is to be cocky. And if your job was to be a smart-ass, cocky person and somebody called you a nice guy or something to that effect, you know, screw you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's, you know, and I look, and, and it, it does create good banner, though. It does, you know, uh, Parker Boudoir, you know, got, got to love Parker out there, but Parker called me out on a couple of things, and uh, and that's a gentleman I would not want to be in the dark alley with, <laughs> you know. But he was, we've spoken a couple other times, really nice guy, young guy learning the business. You know, I just think certain, especially for the younger guys, I think that if they do it now, then it becomes natural later. I mean, even Heartbreak Kid, as old as he is, when you see him go to the top rope, he jumps up. It's always a quick manner. It's not the, unless it's the storyline. Yeah. And it, then he's building it like the kick, you know, or something like that. But, you know, most of the time he moves fast, does things like that. So, but he's done it since the Rockers. What do you think Marty about Logan? Yeah. <laughs> what do you Gennetti. think about? What is it? Mar- Marty Janetti. 
Are you sure? Are you call, I'm calling you. Not as late. No, it is Marty Janetti. Yeah, it's Marty Janetti. Yeah, you're right. Make me doubt myself for a second. <laughs> no, I was doing what the I was doing what the wrestlers do to you. Like, okay, yeah, oh, to you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Logan Paul as a wrestler? Man, I tell you what, that last match blew me away. That he was able to pull those moves off. Uh, he, he doesn't need it. Yeah. So he won't take it serious, I don't think. So if you don't take it serious, I don't really care for you to be there unless you're just doing a Mike Tyson spot or your little, you know, one little spot. Mm -hmm. But my gosh, he looked good. Some of his, you know, moves, and I know that they had to, it's a lot easier when you're practicing a few moves. Yeah. You can get any of, somebody can come in here and teach us all how to do something in yoga or something like that, you know. But to do the whole thing, that's a whole nother story. Build a storyline up. But because I don't think he's that great on the mic uh, at all. But man, some of those jumps and everything, that was pretty damn good, man. And I heard he tore his knee up like in the first I, I, part I, of the match or something. I haven't seen any or heard anything from him, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> on that. Yeah. Yeah, but apparently like um like you said, it was really good. A, a lot of people, like a lot of like analysts, like w, like wrestling analysts, is like he definitely has a career if he wants it in yeah. the sport. Like yeah, he's, I don't think he does. Yeah, because he's making so much. You know, they, he's making so much money doing everything. If Why you, just if you could make money off tweeting about your dog taking a poop, <laughs> yeah. I would be a tweeting dog pooping having son of a gun. But yeah. he's doing it, man. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that younger generation. Look, they they figure I'm tr I'm over here hustling now. They got me on Twitter over here trying to figure out a way to rub two nickels together and make a you know do what you can. So, who are your top five wrestlers of all time? Who man, you know I I would have to put you know Lawler up there. I don't care if you didn't see him back in the day, you should have. Uh, Kurt Henning was one of my favorite. Uh, you have to go with Flair, and then um, hmm. Man, after that, it's just so close on him. Uh, there, it could have been Magnum TA. Car wreck stopped him from uh, being the bigger than Ric Flair. Uh, it could have been Bruno San Martino. Uh, uh, you know, I really liked him. So I'm going back on names. So I know yeah. that's going way back. But uh, as far as newer wrestlers, I, I'm a Randy Orton fan. I really like just everything about him. Uh, and uh, Seth, uh, Seth Rollins, man, yeah, that guy is good. I mean, he's he is good, and he's this goofy clothes and the laugh and everything, and having the crowd. I mean, he took Vin, Finn Balor's stuff from him. Is what Finn Balor had the whole crowd used to come out and do that. Well, now, you know, they do it for Seth. Uh, you know, he is that damn good, though. Hmm. I need to I need to catch up on some I'm, wrestling because I have no idea about most of the names you mentioned. I'm really surprised that um, the Miz was so success is so successful still. Well, it, it, look, he was a standout on MTV. Yeah, and he's been a standout at what he did. But he's a play. He's a face, and he's politically correct. Mm. He's the the prototypical. Uh, tan white guy with the perfect haircut and a perfect little wife and a cookie cutter, and we can put him and sell this product, this product, and this uh, product. Yeah, true. So you, he's he's just like, and he's pretty good in the ring. You got to say, you know, he, they can do he can do a storyline and he can do all that, but he is just a pretty, you know, he's just mm -hmm. a a pair of boobs without a pair of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so is having a mouthpiece probably the best part of being a wrestler? You, if you can't talk, then you always have to rely on a manager or mm. have to rely on. So that's 
going to be, if you're coming into a new territory back in the day, that would mean you're asking for two jobs instead of one. Mm. So you got to be good. Now, the road warriors, when they first started out, couldn't talk. They had Paul Ellering, uh, precious Paul Ellering, which was a half-ass wrestler, but he was a great talker. So they put them and the road warriors together. Boom. They blew up and they just tore it up until the road warriors learned how to sell, you know, use syllables mm. and stuff like that. But, uh, uh, that was hard. That was hard for if you couldn't talk, you, I don't think you could really. It was, it, it, you know, back in the old days, you might have gotten away with it if you were good looking. Yeah. But if you were ugly and couldn't talk, <laughs> you said, I love you it. I love, bro. <laughs> so, like with The Rock, wasn't he like a nice guy in the very beginning? Well, yeah. It, it, imagine this. Imagine growing up with somebody your whole life and then. Uh, as an adult now, you see your friend's kid going into the same business. Mm-hmm. You're going to watch after him, and everybody has seen him grow up. So he's that cute little kid that we all saw until he's all hunching on your leg. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he started off as like Flex Cabana, but then they took uh, they took Bill Dundee's son, Jamie Dundee, had started uh, something here in Memphis called the Nation of Domination. It was two white guys trying to act like black activists. Okay. So – they took that to the WWE and had Ron Simmons and uh, uh, the Boogeyman. Uh, I can't think of his name off it, but had all of them have the Nation of Domination and mm-hmm. had a Rock as a bad guy. And they used the two Dundee and Woofy D for about three weeks, three or four weeks, until they were like, "This looks stupid." <laughs> and they took the two white guys out and did it like that should. But Ron Simmons did it right, man, because Ron Simmons was man. He he just. Had that look about. He's like one of them, somebody, your friend's daddy that you were always scared would whoop your ass if your dad told you because you didn't want to get your ass whooped by this man. Ron yeah. Simmons was that kind of man. He was an all American football player, had that deep voice, you know, and just, he just, he was perfect for the, you know, the spot. And then The Rock was always politically correct. It's not that it's a black thing or white. He was kind of like Jordan, Republicans mm, buy shoes too. Yeah. You yeah. know, he was always. You know that middle ground, Switzerland, in the middle of a you know racial war here yeah. in Switzerland. But uh, Ron Simmons was so good at it. I mean, they some of their promos they cut. Have you ever heard, seen any of these? The nation, these are some good. You know, I should have made cliff notes for you, and you could have just gone back. The Tupelo concession match. You got to go back and watch that. Okay, uh, that's that's a, a you can pull that up, and you got to watch the whole thing and listen to it. All right. You'll have to see it because it's in Stone Age. It's literally, they might as well have had no floorboards in their cars and they were pedaling their feet like the Flintstones. That's yeah. how old it was. But you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it. You'll have to watch that. Don't yeah. touch the popcorn machine. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm the whole time I'm watching it, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to look at the popcorn machine yeah. the whole entire time. But it's, it's amazing how they have their fan base, though. Like, their fans are like no other fans I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like how they are so immersed in the storylines and they are so passionate about these, these characters. This isn't, it's just, it's just wild to me that some people care that much. Well, let me give you a little example. When I broke my, I broke my back years ago and I was laid up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I got into soap operas because that was what was on. Yeah. There's a whole crowd of people, group of people that are into their soap operas. Don't mess with them about their soap (laughs) operas. Yeah. Well, wrestling is a is kind of like a hillbilly soap opera. Mm. It's the same thing. It has plots. We just don't get amnesia every other episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but it's the same thing. They're building up a storyline. They're building up a history. You know the wrestler's history from the past. Oh, he got hit in the ankle. Well, two years ago, he broke his ankle. 
you know, and, you know, and so and so did it in Japan, you know, and you know all these facts and you're built into these characters. So it's the same thing as there's just not a general hospital or a, a days of our lives. It's, <laughs> it's, it was WCW, WWE or WWF or whatever instead yeah. of those. Do you think AEW is going to last? I think that they've, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't bet against them. I, it's not going to be easy, yeah. but I don't think, the other organizations that have tried to come before them, the WWE wanted to squish. For some reason, they don't seem to care. Yeah, it's kind of like since Vince is out. Yeah, yeah they, even with Vince there, well, it's that, like it's, he didn't even pay attention to him. Maybe that's like... Is he like Blockbuster? He's not... think he's too big? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's that case or he just knows that he's got young talent that's going to be around and everything they're getting is older. Mm. And they don't have the base of the young and the young talent they do have. If they are good, they're going to go to them. So it'd be like UFC versus any other type yeah. of well, MMA organization. The, the main storyline in AEW right now is that when the best wrestler that they have mm-hmm. uh, uh, is going to start a bidding war with the WWE when his contract's up. <laughs> okay. So he keeps saying the summer of 2024, the bidding war of 2024. That's all he talked, but that's his. That's his skit. That's his line. Is as uh, you know MJF's line. Yeah. You know, is that I'm going to be the most you know sought after wrestler. To, and what it is, he's probably on a long term contract, and he's building that up. So in 2024, he can they can act like they're doing a bidding war, and then AEW wins it. Say if ratings are bad, well yeah. they they paid to have uh, MJF stay, so they must be doing okay. And yeah, if they if they're going to be able to afford him when it's time. They're definitely going to stick around, I think. Yeah. Well, unless you know, unless they've already got him signed. Oh, yeah. Maybe they're just using this as a story. That's, like what, I yeah, That's what I think it is. You know, Because honestly, if the WWE wanted him, like right now, let's say tomorrow, they could just buy him contract out. Yeah. They just buy the AEW. Yeah. yeah. He's not big enough to be uh, that big of a mark over in WWE. Big. Because when he gets over, when if, if he does get over there, he's going to be a middle character. Yeah. He's not going to be the star. Right. He's, he's be, a Dolph Ziggler. Exactly. And then yeah. they're going to work his way up, right? And right. eventually they'll put him to the top. If he gets worked up. If, yeah. he, you know, if the, everything marks out, he'll get moved on up. But there's still a chance he goes in there and they just say, we bought your toy and they just keep you in the garage. Mm-hmm. Just They just wanted to own you. That's all, you know, and that's, you know, that could be the same situation, though. But that's a good thing about our hillbilly soap opera. We will never know until the the episode plays. <laughs> True. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing your wealth of information because, like I said, I, I, there's a lot of shit that you never know. You don't know until you talk to somebody that knows a lot about something. You know a lot about Memphis history and wrestling in general, so appreciate your time today. Well, absolutely. I appreciate the invite and this was really cool. And, uh, I can't wait to see the finished product or at least I hope I don't hear from any lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enjoy your Sunday. Thanks. Man. Absolutely. Thanks, bro.